and it's Carolina Peace, even though I don't look like Carolina Peace, I am Carolina Peace. And uh, you're listening to Tom and Zeus on the Shouted Out Loud cast. So keep listening, keep rocking. The pounding of John Bonham's drum, the howling of Robert Plant's vocals, the splues crashing tones of Jimmy Page's guitar, and the backbone bass melodies of John Paul Jones. In January 1969, the invasion was official. Led Zeppelin released their first debut album, Led Zeppelin One. And on the latest Led Zeppelin Chronicles, we talk all things Led Zeppelin One with Tom and Zeus. From Shout Out Loudcast, Superfan Murph, and myself, Jay Scott from The Hook Rocks. Excellent, Jay. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Uh, it's been a long time for us to get back together for uh, Led Zeppelin 1. We uh, apologize for the delayed, all the Zeppelin freaks out there, but we're back. So uh, it's nice to see uh, everybody here. hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and uh, ready to talk all things Zeppelin. Absolutely. This is, uh, I know with the holidays and everything, uh, coming about i know things you know we, we we were planning on recording a few weeks ago but hey we're here we're talking zeppelin one of our favorite bands my favorite band and it's always a good time seeing you guys and talking about one of the greatest bands and now their debut album so looking forward to that guys good to be here hope everyone had a great thanksgiving with turkey and stuffing and we'll spend the next few hours uh feasting on uh one of our favorite bands nice. Yeah, I'm pumped. Uh, we, me and Tom know that we've been getting a lot of DMs, uh, messages like, what the hell are you, are you guys going to do the Zeppelin thing? What happened to it? What's it going? I'm like, Jesus Christ. If you can imagine between all the work that we've been doing lately of keeping up with episodes, um, we fit in a kiss cruise in the middle of all this. So that kind of put the kibosh on getting this thing done out prior to Thanksgiving, but we're here. We're ready to get this thing rolling. So pumped to get this thing started with you guys. Actually, if I uh, if I could say, Tom, uh, I know that this uh, meeting has taken place. It's a little later than we had all planned. But uh, as you noted at the beginning of this podcast and previously that I'm a super fan. Uh, I've always considered myself a big Led Zeppelin fan. But I have to say, and I've shared this with, with Tommy, uh, that after uh, listening to some of the depths that Jay went into uh, in the last pod, I did feel a little bit, I know I'm dating, uh, dating myself here, and I know you, each of you would probably uh, relate to it as well. Jay going into some of his details in the last episode reminded me of me feeling like Chevy Chase as Gerald Ford, where he's <laughs> staring and goes, uh, it was uh, agreed upon that there would be no math as part of the debate. <laughs> So I have spent the last 10 to 12 weeks doing uh, quite a bit of reading and making sure I'm hey, feeling prepared. I mean, I'm prepared, but I'm feeling prepared. We appreciate the preparation of the work, but remind, let's remind everybody, this is not a test. This is not a, a, a test of skill or wits. It's us talking about a band that we love with some information, facts, and background. But uh, everybody's tuning in to hear these four wonderful voices and uh, all of our expert opinions, uh, I, I think I, I can say that pretty confidently, correct? Yes, no, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you know, 
I, keep in mind too, this is knowledge attained since I was 16 years old. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is Led Zeppelin has pretty much been my favorite band ever since then. I mean, I was a Kiss fan, you know, early on. And then I tell that story about my cousin coming over with a, you know, with a duffel bag full of bootlegs. And that whole summer, I was just indoctrinated into Led Zeppelin. And I just, you know, again, everything that I've ta- I talk about, it's because I just attain, you know, learn that information as I've, as I've grown up and become, you know, uh, a father and now 46 years old. So it's, it's like 30 years of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And for the people that are tuning in for the first time and don't know that Zeus and I have shouted out loudcast, the all kiss podcast. And this is a, a kind of a spinoff for our, our other favorite band. It's kind of the same thing with us. When we talk about kiss, it's just, it's just knowledge. That's just in you. Um, but Researching for Zeppelin is a band unlike any other. Um, the The amount of information is is can be overwhelming, but as fans, we love it, and that's why Zeus and I came together to say, "Let's do the Zeppelin Chronicles." A band like this deserves a special sidecast. So here we are. Yeah. So what we'll do is uh, kind of follow along the same pattern as we do on our album review crew episodes. Yep. Um, instead of just doing one album review episode on Zeppelin, and then maybe every two years or so bring up another we're like uh uh-uh we're doing a zeppelin just on the discography on zeppelin and you know more stuff as well but uh zeppelin needs its own kind of show so following along that uh pattern of the arc episodes we usually get into feedback now we release the kind of introductory episode about the zeppelin chronicles similar to how we did wouldn't you like to know me, Tom, mm-hmm. on Shout It Out Loudcast? And we got some feedback, right? We did. And and like Zeus said, you know, we've been getting some DMs and some posts on Twitter and Facebook about people. When's the next Zeppelin Chronicles coming out? So that right there told us that we're doing something right, that we're we're getting we're hitting the nerve for all the Zep freaks out there. So the feedback was was awesome. It was excellent. People were excited that we're doing something Zeppelin related. They 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 were surprised like how do you guys have the time to do this and you said well when you're talking about something you love it's not work and that's what it is so the feedback was was overwhelmingly uh positive but also filled with with excitement you know what are you guys going to do excited to hear the four of us talk they know murph from shout it out loudcast they know jay from the hook rocks and we've been on his show he's been on ours so to hear us together i think people were very excited to kick this thing off and of course as we said we're excited too yeah, and what we normally do, Tom, we get into um, our background. How did we come into this album? Let's start off with uh, Murph. Sure. I can't specifically say when I bought this album, had in my possession, uh, as noted on the last episode, going into college, the only album I had was Led Zeppelin Four, but when we went to college and, and Tommy and, and Zeus, we you know were all on the same hall wing what have you uh 70% of the people had led zeppelin uh in the room cd tape what have you uh and i, I think it was just osmosis at, at some point i just had led zeppelin one in my possession but i was listening to it continuously that freshman year so i don't know if it was columbia house i don't know if it was at a tower records or strawberries in the boston area but Sometime around 91, 92, it, it was in my collection. And, uh, you know, and then just started adding to it uh, after that. And I'm not sure if Led Zeppelin 1 was the 
first album I got. It might have been two, then one, but it, it's definitely been in my possession for about 30 years now. Yeah, for me, it, it's weird. I, and I kind of hinted at this at the uh, uh, the intro episode. My 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 background with collecting Kiss music, I have specific memories of when I got Love Gun, when I got Dynasty, when I got Alive 2, when I got et cetera, et cetera. Zeppelin is a, such a, a unique band for me because although I love them and everything about them, it's like they've always been like a part of me. And I have no specific memories of purchasing their music because I feel like I've always had their music with me. I, I knew, I do know that like most people our age that weren't complete diehard Zeppelin fans at a younger age, everybody kind of started like Murph did with Zeppelin four, you know, because of stairway to heaven. And, and you heard all those classic rock songs, black dog, rock and roll. And then you kind of move yourself backwards into their catalog, you know, cause as we were older, Zeppelin really, they weren't a greatest hits band either. They didn't start putting out collections until much later, especially when that, crop circle box set came out and then moving forward. So you heard them on the radio and then you had their studio album. So, you know, I've, I've had it. I feel like I know the album inside and out and I've been listening to it my whole life, but I, I can't pinpoint when I had it. I do believe it was the cassette that I had first. Um, and having an older sibling, it was probably by that. Like a lot of us, our older siblings, you know, we kind of get the music from them. So that's Zeppelin one for me. Yeah. Jay. For me, uh, it was the the bootlegs came first. I mean, imagine that you're becoming a fan of a band and you're listening to live bootleg albums. That was, you know, back then bootlegs were kind of scandalous. Like, you know, you, yeah. you kind of had to secretly know where to get them. So that was my introduction to Zeppelin. Um, and then I was introduced to the box set through friends and I was listening to that. And it wasn't until later on when I bought Led Zeppelin one and I know it wasn't the first Zeppelin album I bought and it wasn't probably the second or third, but it was, it was further on down the line. Um, I bought it at Rolling Stone records outside of Chicago uh, when I got paid from working at the uh, local grocery store and went on a Friday night, picked up a new album. I forget what the new album was. And I bought uh, Led Zeppelin one on cassette uh, to begin with. So that's my history with, with the album. All right. So for me, um, I believe the first time I got into Zeppelin and I talked about her introductory episode, another one of those, like somebody older, a relative family, my brother, my cousins got me into it. So I, I started, you know, with the easy one, the one that everybody knew Zeppelin four. And then when I would do these trips, I would go every summer, every other summer to Greece, I started buying the cassettes when in Greece, because European bands like Zeppelin's a British band, you could find that stuff in Europe. And, and I remember getting Zeppelin one amongst the albums that are the cassettes that I would get. The funny thing is that cassette always had the tracks backwards. So mm. everything opens with your time is going to come and the out and the ep- and it ends with dazed and confused. To me, that actually makes a little bit more sense, <laughs> yeah. but it works either way. Um, and then I just remembered listening to this and being like, holy shit, uh, this is a quite different. And I remember myself being drawn to it more so than Zeppelin four. And, uh, I think it was probably my second Zeppelin album I've ever bought. And, uh, you know, hard to kind of examine it closely when it's those, you know, an album from the sixties on a cassette 
in Greece. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but I knew the tracks inside out and uh, really, really drawn to it. it. It just helped cement that, you know what? I get why all these people are saying Zeppelin. And uh, yeah, been in love with it ever since. Yeah. One thing I do remember when I did, st- when I did go backwards to Zeppelin one after hearing Zeppelin four, I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, this is different. Like, this is not Zeppelin 4. There's a lot going on here. Like, this band is, like, it just, I feel like Zeppelin 1, and, and we'll get into it when we break down the tracks. I mean, it, this album kind of piqued my interest a little bit more than Zeppelin 4. I mean, Zeppelin 4 to people is the is the holy grail of Zeppelin albums. Whether or not we all agree with that, we'll eventually get to that point. But for me, Zeppelin 1 just really kind of, I, I, I kind of raised my my eyebrows a little bit more when I heard it in a, in a, in a in a mostly positive way that we'll eventually talk about. So, yeah. And I mentioned it quickly, but the truth of the matter is there is this uh, album cover. Yep. Which, you know, in the glory days of music and buying albums and discovering new artists, classic artists, there was an art of album covers. Zeppelin was definitely part of it. And these I don't know. I can't think of a, a Zeppelin album that you couldn't call iconic other than maybe Coda. Yeah, um, right. This is iconic. So who wants to start here on the album cover? I will uh, take that. I, I was thinking about it. Uh, it. Just what the album covers were like of that particular time. You know, you're you're year plus away from the summer of love. The Beatles were still at the top of the charts with the white album. And I was thinking of, you know, uh, a young teenager coming home and the parents seeing, you know, what may have been the first mass casualty ever caught on camera being there on an album. And, you know, you're thinking, Oh, the humanity. And it's just, it's an album cover that gets your attention. And then, proceeding to play it takes you down a path of, okay, this is, this is different than what's out there. So I think right from the get-go that that album just grabs your attention, gets you curious. It's going to maybe even be polarizing depending if you're the parent or the child. Um, It's, you know, it's a totally Zeppelin event and and decision. Yeah. It's um, so, you know, the thing I love about it too is that so the photograph was taken by Sam Shear. It's from May 6, 1937, the Hindenburg disaster. Um, I'm sorry. Yes, May 6, 1937, uh, took place in Lakehurst, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And like Murph said, to have something like that happen on video, on audio. I mean, even looking at the picture now, you know, the actual photograph, the untouched photograph, it's 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 stunning. It's stunning. And the famous line. Oh, oh, the humanity, which if you're a Seinfeld fan, you you know about the uh, Newman in the mail truck when his uh, mail truck ex- catches on fire and he, he does that little pop culture reference there. But um, the thing that I like about it that I think is so Zeppelin, and if you're a fan, you get it, is the way that they didn't just slap the photograph on the album. They use like a distorted, you know, kind of like a technical type of thing that they did to kind of mess up the photo so it's not crystal clear. You know, if you Google it, you'll see the crystal clear photo. So I think it's just like Murph said, it, it's black and white and it's just a picture of a horrible tragedy. 
and it's their debut album. I, I, th- I think it's, it's unique on so many levels. What I find interesting about the album cover, and as you guys mentioned, the history of the Hindenburg and the tragedy that it was, it is a play on what Keith Moon told Jimmy Page when he said he, he was going to name the band the New Yardbirds. And he says, well, that's going to go down like a Led Zeppelin. And it's kind of a play on that um, mm-hmm. and, and as, as old folklore goes with the relationship between Keith Moon and Jimmy Page. So that's an interesting um, note on the album cover. The album cover really does draw you in. You have to also think back in those times of 1969, you know, how imagery was very important. You think of the great Beatles records. You think of the Stones records at that time. You really had to have something that stood out to the consumer when they were thumbing through vinyl at the record store. And this certainly does. What's also interesting about this album cover, a little bit of a tidbit on it, is the logo color is different on different prints. There's Mm -hmm. the red, there's an orange, and there's also a turquoise blue, which is also very rare. I don't know if there's more than, I don't know if there was more than like 2,000 made or 1,500 made, but auction houses have made as much as $3,000 on the vinyl with that turquoise blue print. And that is something that I will finally purchase after my son concludes college. Because <laughs> that, uh, that, is my, that is my number one on my wish list of vinyl collection, uh, part of my vinyl collection that I want. A great nice. whale that you're chasing, huh? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. For me, uh, it's iconic. It's, the imagery is, you know, you see this and you know it's Led Zeppelin. Um, I think it's a, a brilliant idea. And it makes you wonder, though. They couldn't have released this in 1945. They couldn't have released it in the 50s. Nope. They had to wait many, many years. Like no one's going to release a Titanic sinking cover in the in the 30s, right? They yep. need time to go by uh, and to be able to, you know, get away with this kind of imagery. The lighting is fantastic, and uh, I believe um, Tom, you actually mentioned who the uh, photographer was. Uh, that kind of touched this thing up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, no, I, I, no, I mentioned so Sam Shear took the photograph. Uh, there was another artist that kind of coordinated yeah, the his whole name, artwork. Okay, so I wasn't sure. His name is yeah. George Hardy. Yes. And he kind of designed this. I love it. I think it's uh, uh, perfect. Says enough about the band. Boom, Led Zeppelin, top right corner, Atlantic Records, bottom right. Um, it's great imagery. You know, and it, and it gives you like, what the hell's what's in this? Well, we're about to find out what's in it. Um, so this is Led Zeppelin one. It was kind of recorded in uh, September, October of 68. Olympic uh, Studios there in London, I believe that's in London, uh, eventually released January 12th. And no, it's not released in 1996. I don't know why that's there. <laughs> it was released January 12th. Uh, 1969. It went number 10 in the US, number six in the UK. It went platinum eight times in the US. It went platinum twice in the UK. It's uh, considered number 44 VH1 uh, greatest albums in 2003, uh, 29 in Rolling Stones in 2003. Then it went to 101. In 2020, when they revised their list, here's what I'm thinking. What the fuck was released in those years from 2003 to 2020 that would make this go down 
It's 101. I can't Maybe think it was, of one album it's, that was it's, it's just Rolling Stone trying to be relevant. You know, yeah. trying, to, trying to include things that uh, they tell people are great that are not, in fact, great. Yeah. Um, this album ages like a fine wine. Uh, it gets better as the years go by. Yeah, I can only imagine how many... In, this is Rolling Stone, a rock and roll magazine. How many hip hop artists and other stuff oh, they get say. thrown yeah. in there, yeah. right? It's just ridiculous. In these years, that there's, I can't think of one album that's better than this. Well, and, and like and like Jay said, like I mean, we're going to be next next in a couple months or next month. Uh, this is album is going to be fifty three years old, and like Jay said, it gets better. I mean, you, 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 I mean, we'll get into some details, some production details, you know, specifically with Jimmy Page and Glenn Johns did to make this album sound the way it is. But this album does not sound like a mid to late 60s British band. You go you go listen to Cream or The Who or The Beatles or some bands that were pop rock or or or, or you know, psychedelic rock or hard rock that the, the the production style, the 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 way that the Jimmy's distortion with his guitars, obviously Bonham. The album was heavy then, and 53 years later, it still rips. I mean, that's why Led Zeppelin's never going away, and that's why I, I, I love that about this band. It also got put in the Rock uh, Grammy Hall of Fame in 2004. Yep. If this was released today, when you think of bands like Rival Sons and Dirty Honey, this could be contemporary rock music. This yes. could be modern rock music. And it was 53 fucking years ago that it was released. So, yeah, I mean, it gets better. It sounds, it does not sound dated. And it's a tremendous album. It's a great beginning to, like I said in the intro, to the invasion of Led Zeppelin on the world. And if it came out today, Rolling Stone would still probably pan the album like they did back in 69. Yeah, absolutely. Rolling Um, Stone, it's true. So the album was produced by Jimmy Page and Tom mentioned Glenn John, who uh, I can't picture him going. Uh, we talked about when he uh, the Eagles issues they had with him going. Yeah, yeah, we can rock as much as the uh, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, but even even uh, Don Henley's like, yeah, I, I found out real quick that it's no no com- no computers or machines that are making John Bonham sound like that. It's called John Bonham. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so he did the engineering. It's on Atlantic Records. And Jimmy pulls out all the stops from his sessions, musicianship, uh, the apprenticeship he did, and how he learned to make this album and all the little things of the recordings and where to put mics and where to do stuff. And uh, I guess uh, Glenn Johns was a childhood friend of his. And the two of them came up together, just even if he wasn't a part of this, the musicianship is incredible that he did this and the production and stuff. And that gets lost, you know, Zeus, it sounds it just looking back and, and just reading on this album. I mean, it seemed that page had everything in his head because when it came time to get in the studio, just how quickly they got this recorded. I mean, I've seen somewhere between 15 and 30 hours it, it took to record the whole album. Uh, Page paid for it out of his own pocket uh, to just get it down and then you know, put it in the hands of Peter Grant to get it out there and get a, a, a label to, to sign up with them. And just to, to think of, you know, the total cost was somewhere less than 2,000 pounds from beginning to end. So 
he knew what he wanted. He found the right people. It sounds as if he, you know, at this point was kind of, you know, a micromanager to get that sound down. And, you know, the results are there. I mean, for them to have that starting in September and then it's the traveling by November um, is just a testament to what he wanted, how he wanted it to sound and just how, you know, I mean, you could say catching lightning on a bottle, but as we're going to say with these upcoming albums, they, they did it more than once. So I, I don't think that phrase would properly apply. Yeah. And we talked about the production and how the album sounds just raw and fresh, dirty, heavy. And that's, again, that's due to, to Paige. I mean, he, he specifically really minimized the amount of over, overdubs that were going to be in this in this recording because he when they played it live, which he knew that they were going to, he, he wanted it to be faithful to the recording. He didn't want Zeppelin to be a studio band like so many bands are. You know, they sound fantastic in the studio, then they sound kind of average at best on stage. He didn't want that. Um, and Zeus, you hinted at it too, the, the, the tricks that he did with the microphones, whether it was putting them far away from Bonham's bass drum or putting them far away from his guitar amp and creating those sounds and those dynamics. It's just to, to think that this was done in, in 68, 69 is just stunning. Let's talk about a young Robert Plant on this album. Mm-hmm. Who sounded like Robert Plant prior to this? I mean, this was a young man channeling blues greats in the u.s you know howlin wolf and muddy waters and and uh and artists like that i mean this was a, a kid who was doing this and a lot of people think that he blew out his voice after this album and his voice never sound the same and i i agree with that in some way because if you look listen to the other albums after this his voice does different but his voice and the way they record him sounds full it sounds like Man, I mean, they talk about Bonham's power on the drums, Plant's power on his on the vocals on this album. In my opinion, this is his best vocal performance on any Led Zeppelin album. Well, it's well, it's great that we have three other opinions because I'm I'm pretty sure they're all not going to be the same. That's great. Um, yeah. Then I guess we have a lot to talk about because we're starting off with the first track. Everyone knows what this track is, and let's hear it. Good times, bad times. Two minutes and 46 seconds of We Are Led Zeppelin. We are going to blow your ears and mind. Um, This song got me thinking of what debut albums, debut song could top this. And I I was thinking of Welcome to the Jungle. I was thinking of um, 
Runner with the Devil. But even in those songs, it's kind of a build up before it kicks in. I mean, Needle on the Record or your CD, right out of the gate, that riff, and it just starts. And then you've got Lil Cowbell, and just all four of them are contributing in two minutes and 46 seconds. You've got John Paul Jones with a little bass at the one minute mark. And it, it just, I felt like this was the right song to start the album. Zeus, I know you mentioned about on the, the Greek, you know, your time's going to come, but it's, you know, we're in, we're out. You've got eight songs to follow, but in my opinion, it was just one of the, the greatest debut songs. And you could say it's your debut album. And we've talked about John Paul Jones had been around for a while. Session player page had been with the New York birds, but I'm still going to say Debut album, debut song. I mean, for me, it's hard to find one that actually could top that. Yeah, Murph, you 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 nailed it because I kind of had that in my notes as well. That it's like we are Led Zeppelin, like you said, "Runner with the Devil" and "Welcome to the Jungle" are iconic debut album, debut songs. But they do have that slow buildup. It takes you a while to figure out what you're what you're hearing. What this? What is this new band? Like you said, you hit good times, bad times right away. You know what you're in for. You are in for something that you have never heard before. Between Bonham with those ridiculous triplets that he's doing on the bass drum that people were obsessed with thinking that he had a double bass and he didn't do it. Um, A chorus that is catchy, melodic, sing-along. John Paul Jones, who we haven't really talked about him much, and unfortunately, he's kind of like the lost member of of this band. When you, you talk about Plant's vocals and Paige's guitar, theatrics and Bonham's dominance, in, in for rightly so, but what John Paul Jones does in, in this song with some of his bass licks, it's just, it's amazing. And this song to me, classic Robert Plant singing when he needs to sing wailing when he needs to wail. It's just a fantastic song. It's iconic for a reason. Um, and and it, it's just a, it's a stunning way to start off a, a career, a debut album. How about the crescendo of plants vocals in that first line that uh, he just introduces himself. He, 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 you know, sings just, it's just a great between the drums of Bonham and the vocals of plant. in that sequence is just undeniable of how great that they were going to become and how great this album is. Um, Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on getting real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with factor meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late, and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new Factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. (laughs) 
Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I love the story, and I mentioned this in our introduction episode, that Steve Perry tells about driving in Northern California, listening to the radio, and hearing good times, bad times for the first time. We talk about the power of John Bonham's drums, but back in 1969, you know, this is recorded in 68, so you can say 68 as well. No other drummer, no other band had that had that power, had that thump, had that locomotive on the back end of, of your songs in the rhythm section. And, you know, Steve Perry tells a story like he didn't believe what he was hearing. He had to pull over. He's like, I'd never heard anything so powerful in rock music before. And that's what really, you talk about the first song on their first album with their history. That's what separates Zeppelin from all the other bands that came before and then the bands that came after and the bands that tried to mimic them after that, that song solely has been the drums on that song has been mimicked or tried to sound like that ever since that song came out, ever since this album, we'll get more into the songs, but to also piggyback on your thoughts about running with the devil and welcome to the jungle, every great debut album, the first song sets the tone. And the first song grabs you and like Welcome to the Jungle and Run with the Devil grab you. Good times, bad times grabs you and doesn't let you go. Um, it, it's just it takes you in. It, hold, it holds you hostage. And it is the the perfect way to start the career of Led Zeppelin. Good times, bad times uh, by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, Robert Plant. Uh, it went to, it was released, it was the only single release, so it went up to number 80 on the U.S. Uh, US charge. They didn't, I don't think they issued it in the U.K. And the B-side was Communication Breakdown. Um, John Paul Jones says he came up the riff on the Hammond organ, and he said it was the most difficult one he ever wrote. 
So this great guitar opening stuff came from a Hammond organ, which is very kind of like, what? And um, our good friend of the show and fellow Patreon uh, podcaster, Carmine Apiece, uh, is where that uh, Bonham got that little triplet thing. And then he, he did, and it's the, there's some great stories about how he asked him, like, where'd you get that? And he's like, I got that from you. So like, yeah, but I didn't do that like that. I did. I used this. And he's like, well, I did this way. And, and they were both amazed. Um, uh, well, excuse me. Well, Carmine was amazed at how he came up with it. And he did say that he thought that the riff came from Tim Bogart's baseline. And he's like, yeah, one of them told me they got it from there. I don't think that's accurate, but that's okay. We talked, Tom, we already talked about the triplets on the single bass drum. I'm not a drummer, but from all I've read, and there's a great book by Greg Prado on Bonham's drumming about from all drummers. That, yeah. That's all people talk about, like how revolutionary, how different it is, and how ex- exactly, like, just not the loudness of him and not just the groove. It's just the technical aspect of it, how he could handle that stuff. Uh, Jimi Hendrix likened it to castanets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is the get the um, Jimmy was using his uh, his Fender Telecaster back then at this time. He wasn't into the Gibson uh, uh, yet. And he was using the dragon, the one that psychedelic looking thing. Um, and then, you know, Jimmy positioned his amp strategically to get that live feel when they recorded this. Oh, there's also a Rolling Stones song that came out around the same time. Yes. With the mm-hmm. same title. Yep. And I believe they use like a common net. I tried listening to it. And, and the big part of that is I tried listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just what what a difference, which I, I'm not sure if that was Tommy or Murph. But can you imagine like the Beatles trying to do this shit? No. Like, nobody was pulling this crap off no. back then. They all must have been like the closest band I could think of. Maybe was the who trying to come up with this kind of shit. But even then, they'd probably be like, what is this? Yep. I don't think anybody could come out. It's revolutionary. They didn't really play this live, which I'm surprised about. Yeah, I was just going to say that too. Yeah. They played it on Celebration Day. I think they opened Celebration Day, yeah. with, if I'm not mistaken, which is very rare. Uh, originally, the song was going to called A Man I Know. I don't know where they would have gotten that title from, but that's what they were originally going to do. It was uh, written at the beginning of their first sessions they did on the album. Um, again, Jimmy says uh, John Paul Jones came up with the riff and that he came up with the chorus. But then Jimmy complains that there were some mistakes made towards the end of the song. He called it dodgy guitar phrases between 228 and 232. If you listen, I don't know, some guitar people that can pick that shit up. I'm like, I never noticed any mistakes on that. But that's what he complains about. And then, uh, you know, there's Robert harmonizing with himself. Boston band Godsmack covers this song. Apparently. And I'll tell you right. I'll tell you right now. I, I, I'm a I'm a mild Godsmack fan. Their version is awesome. I, I'm a, I like it. I really I, 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 I like it. I'm not going to tell you that it's that, you know, to run out and go, you know, if you're a Zeppelin fan, go listen to it. It might be because I'm a Godsmack fan. I like it. I like it. I, th- I think it's good. I th- first of all, I give him credit for having the balls to cover Zeppelin because not many people do that and do it well. I am anti Zeppelin covers, by the way. That's okay. I got gotcha. you. Oh, I, I love I when other bands try to cover Zeppelin <sighs> because they either can like really destroy it or they or can they, hit it out of the park. Or they do something unique with it and make it like memorable and creative. Yeah. But, like, but Zeus, like you said about them not playing it, like very rarely playing this yeah. in their set list. 
I, I'm getting back to Murph's original point, which, you know, we're all jumping on that with the running with the devil and the welcome to the jungle. And, and for us as a kiss podcast, even strutter off the kiss debut album, the opening song off your debut album usually is a staple of your set list. Yeah. And for them to not ever play it, I find that stun- especially it's a quick song. It's an easy song and it's a heavy, hard rocking song. You would think it would be a no brainer to keep it in the set list. So I found that stunning when we were doing well, some research. You, you can relax because you've heard it, Tom, because it's also on another artist's album. Good friend of the show, Ace Friley, oh, God, performs no. this and it's on his Origins too. And we got to hear him play this live and it sounds like this. Do it. In the days of my youth, I was told why it means to be a man. Uh, he sounds uh, just like plants. Uh, let me tell you right now, Zeus just sounded better than Ace. When we saw Ace in September, when he oh. played that song off his Origins album, I, me and Zeus just looked at each other and burst out laughing. It was worse than, than drunk Kiss karaoke on the cruise. <laughs> yeah. I think Jericho texted us. And he's like, holy shit, what is Ace thinking about playing that song and he repeated and uh day my it was horrible like what makes ace think he can do robert plant horrible yeah yeah it was pretty bad but for my own personal listening to the song i like the opening bam boom oh yeah and then that like the little little drum things going off um i like uh Robert's lower register on the second verse, like he lowers his voice yes. and does that little, like little ooh voice he does on the second verse. It's fucking great. Well, and that's then, a huge, that's a huge Donovan influence on that song right there. Oh, I'm Donovan. Surprised. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sunshine Superman. Um, great song. It's a great song. <laughs> John Paul Jones worked on that. Yeah. D- there, there you go. go. See. Yeah. Tidbits galore. And then they, the, bl- they, they, the blistering <laughs> solo. And then another bass and guitar playing between Robert's lines. And then you start noticing all the drum shit going off. I didn't know what a fucking triple it is. Then I started trying to pick up on it. I don't know. It's just fucking bottom being nuts on the, on the drums as usual. And then there's just at the end, it's just the beginning of what is my whole love affair of the Jimmy and, and uh, Bonzo. Which one do I like better? Yep. Do I like the guitar or the drum better on this song? And it's just back and forth um, on this one. They're just doing different stuff. You can pick up on the drums. You can pick up when the guitar is playing. You can pick up on Robert's voice and you can pick up on that little bass line going on. It's just a great song and it's a great way to open up the album. Yeah. And before we move on to the next track, I just want to say one more thing. So, uh, cause I'll, uh, it's kind of a blanket statement about the album in general. And I say this a lot when we do our album review crew or our kiss album review episodes, Listening to an album like this with headphones on, oh, oh, it's insane. It's insane. And you really, you really see what Paige did with the production. There are so many little things going on in the background. Like we talked about like some of the bleeding going on over vocals with guitars and, and just different things. It's constantly happening. It's just, it's, it's just, it's a treat to listen to. And the transfer from one ear to another, as you got Absol- it. Yes. It's yes. Amazing. Uh, Tom, I thought you were going to say you'd like listening to this song. You you're going to add that you want to hear more Ace Fraley uh, cover songs of Zeppelin. I want to hear I want to hear Ace do a a Zeppelin specific covers album. No, you don't. No one wants to hear that. I'd rather I want to hear Zeus do Ace Fraley doing Zeppelin instead. <laughs> well, instead we're going to go to a folk song classic, done Led Zeppelin style, track number two. Mm-hmm. 
gonna leave you not babe i'm going to leave you it's babe i'm gonna leave you for an album that uh has four blues oriented songs uh for a shift from the opener that we all just spoke about to a folk uh is an indication of zeppelin is going to throw all their influences at you when they see fit and I think for someone listening to the album for the first time is probably just at this point going, what is this band? And then looking at the history, if you're familiar with it, it's a, a cover of a Joan Baez song from 1962 that she uh, took from someone else back in the fifties. And uh, this, this is a, a song that is known for a number of things. Um, the, the echo that is uh, known to be on a couple of the Zeppelin songs, the guitar music, I think there's like a Spanish guitar that's used in it. And in my opinion, it, it, this is just a, a, a beautiful heartfelt heartache of a song. And uh, I, I'm probably going to ruin it for you guys uh, a bit when I say that when I've listened to this song over the years, that I felt that when raw uh, plant sings the feels good to have you back again, he sounds a bit like Robin Gibb of the Bee Gees. Wow. Okay. So next time you hear that, okay. you know, with the high pitch, um, you know, you may start thinking about night fever and I'm sorry for it, but I hear it. Hey, I'm a Bee Gees guy. I'm, I'm a fan. I know I you care. are. I know you are. But you both uh, have, have been suspended from this podcast. From I'm, like, okay. I'm okay. shaking my head right now. What, I'm a B. I, I like the BG. Okay. okay. What the fuck? Guy nope. talking. Sorry. Sorry. You know that Gordon Lightfoot, you know, yes. the third album there. Well, think about it. We've dropped Donovan, BG. Like it's since <laughs> Donovan was a contemporary yeah. singer back in that day. The BGs, you know, got, got tight underwear and, and, and are a disco band. Oh, wow. I urge you to watch the documentary on the Bee Gees if you think I heard that's all they are. I did hear that's actually good. Yes. But then again, anyway, whatever. So, ba- so got- back to back to babe, I'm going to leave you. So they got, they got a lot of chest hair. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. So does Paul Stanley. <laughs> so, babe, I'm going to leave you. Mur- Murph, Murph said it perfectly. So you go from the, the, the short, kick-ass, up-tempo rock song of, of Good Times, Bad Times to this. And this is why... I think this album, you know, a lot of times you have conversations with friends and it's like, oh, you know, if I wanted to, if I wanted to play 
um, you know, a, a, a Metallica album for somebody who's never heard Metallica, what album should I play them? If I wanted to play a Zeppelin album for somebody who didn't know Zeppelin, this might be the album that I would lean towards strictly because Murph, you said it, they're kind of checking off all the boxes here at once. This song is just spectacular on so many levels. It starts off with an unbelievably beautiful acoustic picking by Jimmy Page. And then when the song kicks into gear, I mean, it's like a sledgehammer with, with, with Bonham's drums and the guitar and plant just again, wailing. And I think it, this kind of hints at what I said earlier at the beginning where, you know, this isn't cream. This isn't even the who, because not only is this band rocking out in this song, but you feel plants passion and emotion in this. His, his vocals are just so amazing in this song. And one of my favorite things about this song is that just when you think it's over, there's about another three minutes left in it. And you, and that's, and that's just like, holy shit. Like these guys are not, they're going to give me a, a six and a half minute Epic here. Um, and, and reading about Zeppelin in this song specific, you, it's the first time you hear it because in the discography, it's the first time they do it. You hear a lot of critics or authors using the term light and shade where they, they, they do this with, you know, like over the Hills and far away where the song goes between the soft light acoustic and then the band just crashing in full force. And, um, this is just one of the perfect examples of Zeppelin doing this right here. Jay, before you, before you uh, begin, just want to ask you a quick thing. You mentioned the time in the song. Do you feel like this song needed any of that sunny Pooney editing? The Never. song is too long. Nope. The song Never. is too long. Never. So you didn't feel like it went on past nope. the up to six minutes. Nope. Okay. Nope. There wasn't one minute of this one. There wasn't one moment of the song where I think that, or I said, I think this song should have ended. I can't say the same for the rest of the album. Spoiler alert. Babe, I'm going to leave you. The first time I heard this song was on MTV Unplugged, and it was performed by Great White, who did a tremendous version of this song. And as I, this was before I got into Zeppelin, but as as I got into Zeppelin after my cousin came, you know, on during that one summer with that 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 bag full of bootlegs, I I remember listening to this and comparing the cover that great white did. And I know I just mentioned that I'm anti Zeppelin covers. I, yeah, I really stick to your point one way or the other. You can't go with both. <laughs> I'm getting oh, to my Murph. point. Murph. Yeah. I'm getting to my point. Um, <laughs> but this is one of the few covers and maybe it's because I heard it before I heard the original that I actually do appreciate. Jack Russell does a great, um, I don't want to say impression, but he does Robert Plant justice on that cover from that MTV unplugged version. They're uh, great this- white cover. They're great. If I can just quickly jump in, Jay, excuse me. They're the great white Zeppelin cover album. I know you said you don't like when people cover Zeppelin. Amazing. Fantastic. I, I do cover agree. album. I do agree with that, but um, we won't get into the Zeppelin tribute album, which was just disastrous, but uh, <laughs> the, the babe, I'm going to leave you, um, you know, again, was written by Joan Baez. This was really the first song that Zeppelin took from another artist and made it their own um, throughout their catalog. They did this over and over again, where yes, the songs were from written by somebody else and performed before. And you, some people will say that they stole songs, which in some cases, we'll get into it as we as we dive more into these discussions later on. There is that element that Zeppelin did kind of rip off a lot of people, but everybody does rip off people. But what this also did was it allowed the Zeppelin listener to absorb their music differently because it set up 
all those songs on Zeppelin 2, all those songs on Zeppelin 3, Zeppelin 4, and beyond. You mentioned Light and Shade, Tom, but this was really that first moment because the rest of the album is pretty much a bunch of bangers, you know, that that just, you know, rock out and blues numbers and just great tunes. This was really a different style that they had to put on this album because if I think they did a whole album of the good times, bad times, and the other songs, I don't know if Zeppelin 2 or Zeppelin 3 I don't know if they could have done that without this song. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. It it set up the expectation of the Zeppelin fan and the Zeppelin listener. And as they got deeper into their catalogs, especially Zeppelin three and Zeppelin four, there was a lot more folk influences on those albums. Um, There's moments on house of the Holy and, uh, and physical graffiti. And of course, Zeppelin two. So Mm -hmm. also a year later, Chicago in the song 25 or 624 blatantly rips off the riff that Zeppelin plays on Babe, I'm going to leave you. Wow. So a Chicago reference now, too. All right. We're getting there. Babe, I'm going to leave you written by Ann Brennan, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant. Jimmy Page heard Joan Baez's version, played it for Robert during their first uh, meeting at Page's house. Originally, when the song was released on the Zeppelin one, it said traditional and then arranged by Jimmy Page. And then after 1990, they added, uh, I think I'm saying it, Breton, I think is her name. And she got a nice big payment, apparently, of royalties for not being there. And this will happen quite a few times. We'll be repeating this (laughs) throughout the Zeppelin Chronicles. Apparently, this isn't one of Jay's collections that he wants to get. There is a collectible promotional EP in 69 with this as side A and side B being dazed and confused. It sold. Somebody had like a bunch of copies of it and sold them each for like 500 bucks. Imagine what it go now in the eBay era, Mm -hmm. what those things could go for. Not very typical of the uh, hard rock album to go right from hard rock to a folk rock kind of song. But Zeppelin can certainly pull this thing off. Um, I guess Jimmy was playing this prior to him being in Zeppelin. He would back up Marion Faithful, she, uh, by the way, who, who does a fucking better job on as time as tears go by the, the Rolling Stone hit. Oh, yep. beautiful version. And she was hot at that time. <laughs> Woo. They stopped playing this song live after 69. But I think Robert Steele was playing this song live. In his solo performance, he really likes this. He still plays this. Yeah, and you talked about the bleeding, Tom, and this is one of the few times you'll hear it. If those who want to listen, at 141, you can hear Robert's like ghostly voice saying, I can hear it calling me, bleeding Mike part into the Mm -hmm. song. You know, Jimmy says he used a more fingerstyle method on this song than the original, and then he put a little flamenco burst into it. I tried counting. I think there was eight times in that beginning. Baby, 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 I don't want to leave. I think it was eight times. And I thought someone counted. They said it was about 30 times. He says the word babe or baby. I guess in 68, Jimmy recorded a version of this song with Steve Winwood, which was never released. Yep. Yeah. It's just a different version than the original. I mean, I know that's where they get their bases. They just did a updated version of it biases acoustic version versus this heavy guitar version then there's that little bit of a slide guitar which i'm a sucker for slide guitar at Mm -hmm. 208 
I like the little haunting acoustic music and Roberts. He's using that very achy voice. That achy. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, like, oh, he's like all like, um, uh, you know, passionate about it. And then um, what's with fucking Zeppelin? Or is it a British thing? But I, it's mostly Zeppelin with the word ramble. Every time I like, I'm like, Robert Plant, the only they one love that lyric. Ramble. They love that word. Until fucking like Mock Slaughter and Vinnie Vincent thought they'd be cool and threw it on one of their songs. Well, if they want to be Robin Plant. Yeah. <laughs> and Vinnie Vincent has a, has a ramble on a, on a song. Yeah. On what, love, but, but, I think but, it's on Love Kills. Or is it on yeah. Time to uh, That Time of Year? It's on one of those two. Uh, Correct ballads. me if I'm wrong, too, Zeus. I believe Winger has used that word in a song, too. Oh, yes. Yes. So what I'm going to ask, what I'm going to ask all the listeners oh, to do is I'm going to ask you to keep a flow chart of every band we have named so far. <laughs> and if you can play six degrees of Led Zeppelin. <laughs> okay. Kip Winger and Vinnie Vincent. And Two Chicago that, in the last five minutes. Three it's artists that was in done of it. Four, five that it would not call the most masculine bands out there. That's true. <laughs> but anyways. I think we should all leave this uh, <laughs> recording using ramble somewhere in the workplace this week. Zeus, well, you can I, use it. Your Honor, I think you're rambling. I think you're yeah. rambling. I got to ramble. I've got to ramble on. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. That Robert scream. I can hear it calling me. Oh, my oh. God. Huh? Yeah. Now that's yeah. Robert Plant at his best. Um, and then the babe. I'm going to come in by the full band. Uh, the solo has got this little Spanish <laughs> so going on. Oh, yeah. It's just, you know, I could go on and on. It's a great version. They make it their own because nothing, anything that Zeppelin does, nobody can say, oh, yeah, I, I think of that song. No, 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 no. Everyone thinks of the Zeppelin version. Yep. There's a reason for that. Well, let's go to uh, what I think will be Tom's favorite song. <laughs> shook me so we've gone from hard rock to folk to blues and uh arguably the second song in a row where uh there is a discussion of did they steal it did they give proper credit at the time uh you know a nod to the blues and uh if if you look back and and check up on the history of it 
There is some uh, discussion of whether this song was taken from the Jeff Beck group where uh, Mr. Page says, I don't recall, but apparently Mr. Jones was part of the recording session. So it adds <laughs> a little, uh, a little spice to the discussion, but uh, this song actually, um, and I'll, I'll mention this on another song coming up. This is something where when the song was being played uh, during our college years, Tom would uh, chime in with little uh, harmonies of his own. Uh, wow, specifically, I, I don't remember this. The harmonica section. Wow. When, uh, so it, I, and I apologize to the listeners for my attempt at mimicking the sound, but uh, when I hear the song, I think of Tommy with the harmonica and uh, Rob Plant does the Zeus was talking about that. Tommy would do that from time to time and get a chuckle out of us because it just, uh, you know, it, it stands out. But, you know, it's just a, a nod to the blues. It's it's a song that I, I've never skipped over. But, um, you know, and, and I would say on an album such as this, you know, there isn't any, any skippers. But uh, this is one that I probably would not be seeking out and looking to play. It, it, it introduced me to the blues. I didn't know what the blues was at the time. Um, but listening to the other songs on this, obviously they have a deep influence and appreciation for that period. And, uh, you know, this is their nod to, uh, Willie Dixon and, uh, Muddy Waters and others. Yeah. Murph, you said, you said it, it, it Zeppelin. So, you know, Zeus getting back to your original question about babe, I'm going to leave you. This song is too long. <laughs> it's too long and worse than that. It's too goddamn slow. I mean, this is like ridiculously almost like it's like an accident. It's too slow. Now, I don't mind the blues. I don't mind that kind of stuff. But this sounds like it's played at like the wrong speed. It's so slow. And, and Zeppelin, they do a good job with some slow songs. There's another one on this album that we'll talk about not in, you know shortly. Um, that being said, musically, what's going on with it is really interesting. Um when John Paul Jones comes in with the organ solo, yep. okay, then then you have the then then you have the, the 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 harmonica solo. You have Jimmy Page. You got the call and answer with Robert Plant and the in, in the guitar. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff going on with the song, so it makes it it's not it makes it interesting, and, and you want to listen to it. But it's it's so painfully slow. Sometimes it can be kind of a tractor pull, and um, I mean, I, it, it's Zeppelin. There's not Zeppelin doesn't do anything bad to me. Um, but like Murph said, it's not a song I seek out. I'll, I'll put it that way. But what they do, there's some there's some really interesting and cool things going on in this song. And, and, you, and you're right. The fact that Jimmy Page claims that he doesn't know that the Jeff Beck group recorded this is complete horseshit, because like Murph said, John Paul Jones was uh, was doing it. So settle down, Jimmy Page. Well, it's not the only Jeff Beck connection on this album, and we'll get to that later on. Yep. But this is a great Willie Dixon cover. Um, I I love this tune. I mean, to me, there's only a Led Zeppelin song can never be too long, in my opinion. Um, the Jimmy Page tone on this is absolutely incredible. Uh, Plant's vocals are absolutely incredible. Again, this was an album that when they first formed, they wanted to get something out there. This is the first of two blues covers on this album. And, uh, you know, being that Page 
plant and the whole band was so influential or influenced so much by the blues. It's not a surprise that they would choose a Willie Dixon song in this place. You know, you shook me. Um, it's just, it, to me, again, you know, good times, bad times to me is, is still a power blues song. Babe, I'm going to leave you has is a folk song with a lot of blues elements. And it just continues on with the blues to really showcase who they were influenced by. And I don't think they, they do it better than you shook me. You shook me written by Willie Dixon and JB Lenore. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's actually uh, a 1962 blues song from muddy waters. Willie Mm -hmm. Dixon was his bass player and he wrote the song, but it's a muddy waters track. Um, Robert adds the Robert Johnson line in the, from a stones in my pathway. The, uh, I have a bird that whistles. I have a bird that sing. Um, Jones on the organ is I, I, I just love him and all him and organ. I don't know what it is. Oh yeah. And Robert does a fucking, I don't know, like the fat guy from blues traveler harmonica on it. What I didn't know he had it really in him. You really yep. think about it. I does a great job. Now it was released four months after Jeff Beck's version. Uh, I didn't know he had it. They're like, dude, you accompanied us on tour when we were in the United States touring and you were there with us for months and I played it every night live. What yep. the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it yep. is hilarious. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you don't think at any point, John Paul Jones goes, Hey, do you want me to play like this? Cause you know, when I did it in Jeff Beck's album yeah, exactly. a couple months ago, I did it this way. Do you want me to do it the same way? Like, no, no, I don't. Oh, you did? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, oh I have to. It's just nonsense. It's beyond nonsense. What, what, you, what makes it even more nonsensical is the fact that it's like, dude, all these other accusations just pile up. Yep. I mean, it just makes it like, like if you admitted some, yeah, I admitted that one. Yeah, I took this. Yeah, I'll give him credit over here. Yeah, but this one I didn't. But denying everything just makes him look stupid. Wasn't like, me. Yeah, I looked right in your face. Wasn't me. Maybe it wasn't you. Um, yeah, I, I just. <laughs> but you're right. The, the 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 Led Zeppelin detractors, and and there are unfortunately a lot of them out there. That's what they say. Yep. They deny everything. Like right, it's just stupid. Um, Jimmy plays this with the Black Crows in 1999. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. Oh, I love that album. Yeah, 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 yeah. The uh, they lip sync the song on. Beat Club on German TV, March 27, 1969. I actually, I got I to find that. Um, Jimmy does that backwards echo, which I I heard because they, on some of the books that I've been reading, they tell you exactly where it is. And yep. you can kind of hear it at the 538 mark. Uh, Glenn Johns, I guess, apparently told him, you can't do it. He's like, I fucking do it. I, I've done it before. Did it on a song called, uh, I think it was 10 Little Indians. By yep. the Yardbirds, he goes. I've done that, and he told him he couldn't. And then he was like, "Fuck you, here it is." And he, I guess, he did it. He pulled it off, and it's just like a quick little thing. And it's like, what was the big deal about doing that? I don't know. But apparently, he was able to do it, and they made it a big issue, a, a bone of contention between them. There's another couple little things that I don't know if you pick up, and I picked up on it because I, one of the books I read is this fantastic fucking monstrosity. Called oh, Led Zeppelin and all the songs. The story behind every track by Jean Michael Gedston and Felipe Margot, along with uh, you know Led Zeppelin expanded edition, all the albums, all the songs, Martin Popoff. But this Zeppelin, the first one, mentions this. It is 
fucking incredible. Um, there's a part in each part of this song where there's laughter. You can yes. hear them laughter and, and laughing in it. And they're like, I don't know if they're amused by the lyrics or something. It's at the one uh, 146 mark and also at the birds that sing part. I don't know if they've got a kick out of that the lyrically. But um, I love the harmonica and I can't believe how good he does. Robert does a great job on that. Uh, but Tom, you're kind of right. I don't know. It works for me, but he sounds like he's like a slow like a drunk or drugged yeah. up robber. I've got a bird yep. that with souls. Like it sounds like the, it sounds like a song that could have been playing in the bar scene in Weird Science. Fuck off! I have that in here. Yes, that, I that's have why, that, that in here, and that's why I, we're partners. I have that in here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> holy shit! Um, yeah, every damn night. <laughs> on the telephone <laughs> um yeah and i love that they do three solos in a row mm. the hammond solo the harmonica solo and then the guitar and i'm like trying to pick up like is that the heart well now nah, it's the guitar part yep. i love that shit love that and then what murph is i think trying to refer to and i told you about it and you're like what part i'm like listen for it then one day and then you know, i heard last it. week i think you texted me like yep i got it it's at the 339 mark. There's some like harmonica solo going on. And then he goes, eh. sounds like <laughs> Barney from the Simpsons. Eh, eh, eh. I don't know what he's doing there in between his harmonica thing. And that 508, and I put 527, that you shook me all night. I, it's almost like a parody, yep. like how long he stretches out that note. It's like someone told Stephen Michael from Grown Up Rock, hey, why don't you sing this lyric? You want me to sing this exactly. lyric? Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's just, whoa. I don't know about you guys. I fucking love this song. It, yeah, I just love it. I think I don't turn it off. I look for it when I play Zeppelin one. I, I just, I, I don't know. They, they one of the, just know a way to do a good blues song. Yeah. A weird factoid looking, you know, researching this is so Paige always plays that that Fender Telecaster that he has. Mm -hmm. But for this song, when you think of the flying V, you think of like 80s hair metal, like Vinnie Vincent. Or you think of Randy. Yeah. okay, Or Randy Rhodes. That's what Paige used on this. Yeah. And he used it because somebody was trying to sell it to him. So he's like, all right. But it's just what a, uh, a, a, a weird, you know, the slowest bluesiest Zeppelin song with a flying V being used. I just thought, I thought that was really interesting. One of the things uh, with, with plant and Jay, you had mentioned it earlier. Um, this song here, it, it almost seemed like plant hadn't grown into his voice from the screaming perspective. Uh, yeah. You know, when I think of whole lot of love and it's just that visceral screaming in and led Zeppelin too. On on this particular album and in this particular song, you know, it just sounds like he may not be at that full maturity with his voice yet and just doesn't hit the level of screaming that he does on the very next album. Good point. Okay, so next track, we're going to go watch a great movie from the 90s.
so long it's not true Wanted a woman never bargained for you Lots of people talking, few of them know Soul of a woman was created for love and confused when i think of this song i think of dark trippy scary um which could be a reference to the movie as well this song over time pulled me really into the band to just do research find out more about it when you you listen to the song you, you know all right it's a six minute song it's great but then you start going into the the bootlegs and the live albums. And when I think of this song now, I immediately think of the version on the BBC sessions from the Mm. 1997 album, Uh, 18 minute song with the bow, just everything on full display, the creativity of, of page. But on this album, um, what I think of on the studio version besides page i just i this is the first song where i really hear bonham his pounding and it kicks in around the two minute mark and then you've got the solo further on but um you know after the first three songs where we've talked about you know they're each very distinctive this leads you into kind of you know where they are going to get dark you know maybe this is where some people think of their you know heavy rock um but you know it must be said also it's it's another song where uh, there were legal uh, ramifications or you know courtroom appearances based on who created the song and who deserved proper credit. But with that being said, um, you know that this song here, another six minute song, but uh, much more to my liking than than the previous one. Yeah, originally written by Jake Holmes, Murph kind of uh, uh, you know hinted at some of the some of the the issues again with songwriting credits, etc. But a song like Dazed and Confused, you know, certain bands have like iconic songs, like you, you associate a band with a song. Dazed and Confused, I mean, this song, I, I don't know how you could be a, a fan of of rock music. You know, yeah, there's some psychedelic stuff going on here, but what Bonham is doing, what plant is doing, what's happening with the breakdown in the middle with the noise. Then the song starts to pick up again. Bonham goes off. Murph hinted at the, the, the roles that Bonham is doing. Just, the, just absolutely pounding. This is a song too, where I think plants voice again is doing something different again. Like, you know, we're on the fourth song and every song is so different musically, vocally, even, you know, style wise. Um, 
to me, this song is just insanely awesome. It, it's it, no matter what version it is, it's never too long. And that includes, you know, the song remains the same when it's like pushing almost 30 minutes, you know, when they just going off and doing all kinds of kind of crazy musical acrobatics with it. I, I just love it. It just, it gives the band room to just shine and do their own thing and just go crazy. And I find it interesting too, that the band was, um, asked to contribute to the soundtrack to the movie days to confuse to, to write music for it. Jimmy page said, absolutely. Robert plant said, Nope, not doing it. So, you know, again, you got Robert plant being like, now nope, I don't want to have anything to do with anything like that. Um, but this song right here, love it. Absolutely love everything that's going on here. 30 minute live version on song remains the same. I've got bootlegs where it's upwards to 50 minutes. I'll take it. I love the, it. The medley. This song was the centerpiece for years during, especially the early years um, yep. of their touring. And it also featured the famous imagery of Jimmy Page and the violin bow yes. going back and forth with his amp and sending the cosmic tones out into the audience and being hit like by lightning. You know, it was, um, it was a magical moment whenever they did this song in concert. It was a song that people start to really identify. You want to talk about good times, bad times, and babe, I'm going to leave you. This song, especially early on, was how fans identified with Zeppelin on this album. Uh, this was pretty much the most popular song um, when this album came out, especially live. People wanted to hear this live song. Um, like Murph said, there's also some legal issues that this song ran into, uh, as well as being accused of stealing or lifting the song from another blues artist. Um, but the lyrics are great. I'll get into that later. Uh, the lyrics are more or less an education for a young man. And uh, this song is a is even though it's trippy and it has a little bit of doom in it, you know, doom and gloom. Uh, it it does have a redeeming um, uplift to it, like in the middle of the song where it really kind of comes together with Paige playing a lead out of some of the, the, the gloomier parts. So I enjoy the song uh, uh, immensely and especially live when they do blues medleys or a, a bunch of songs in the middle of it. Uh, this song really does uh, to me, especially the early years is one of the pillars of Led Zeppelin. Dazed and Confused, written by Jake Holmes, not to confuse with John Holmes. That's somebody else. Um, So Jake Holmes wrote this. He was like some guy who used to do jingles or something. Uh, He wrote this in 1967 on his debut pop album, Above Ground Sound of Jake Holmes. They say it's about an acid trip. He said, no, it's about the effects of a... Girl's indecision on, on, on a relationship. Whatever, buddy. Whatever. The guy opened up for the Yardbirds where the Yardbirds heard it, and then they decided to do their own version. They never released it until after, you know, years after the Yardbirds had broken up. And they're like, oh, shit, we have stuff with Jimmy Page on it. Oh, let's release this live album. And they called it on the live album, I'm Confused. The Zep version uh, got them sued as as we talked about in the 80s. He tried to contact Jimmy Page, going, Wait, what the hell are you doing with this? I uh, got no response as always. And then he ended up filing suit and then settling it. So now it says uh, Jimmy Page inspired by Jake Holmes. But I've seen others, it says just Jake Holmes. Uh, I, I don't know. 
Um, Jimmy plays the the Telecaster on this with his famous bow. We all, we all, you know, you guys had mentioned it as obviously already. Um, Robert wrote and changed the lyrics. Couldn't get credit for it because he had his contractual relationship with uh, CBS Records. So he never got credit for it, but he made it a little bit more bluesier than uh, was previously uh, written. Uh, they performed this live more than any other song in their catalog, 440 times, more than 100 more than the second most played live song, which was Whole Lot of Love. Correctamundo. Yep. Uh, Jimmy says he learned how to play the session, the, the violin stuff from session violist David McCollum Sr., who first gave him the suggestion, hey, you can play the guitar with the bow, you know, and then he decided to use it. Wasn't the first to put it on a record, but he that's who said he gave him the idea. Tommy already mentioned the soundtrack. And wouldn't that have been great to have a couple of Zeppelin songs on there? But, oh. I, but I do like that soundtrack with the mix artist on there. it's amazing there's actually well there's actually two parts of that soundtrack they actually released a second version with all the other songs that never made it onto the first one it's like 60s 70s classic rock like greatest hits it's amazing yep, yep. um and then again 204 and 215 you can you can hear the bleeding again of robert's yep. voice on something else so cool um, yep the the lyrics are what you would call now misogynistic <laughs> and uh like a lot of these uh lyrics on this album are um but for me you know the trippy opening robert's powerful vocals and then after the first part in that first break and then the bottom drumming right before the solo takes off mm. oh my god is just amazing insane yep. and then the solo comes out after i mean all this starts after the bow stuff like you hear yep. that weird shit going on um but you can see when when jimmy's guitar solo goes off on this you've already heard the touch on a few other tracks already and you'll hear it on some others but now you also get the speed of which he has and that guitar is he is flying on that solo Mm -hmm. um and the rhythm section even during that solo if you listen to what what bonham in uh and JPJ are doing in the background. You're still fucking amazed. And then it picks up in the drums and then all of a sudden, boom, right back to the, the, the verses again. And it's just so trippy. And then after those verses come back, the last few ver- lines, every fucking line, Bonzo is destroying it with these incredible drum fills. It's insane. Yep. I, I like, there's so many songs that I, I can't explain it. If you're like listening to Zeppelin, especially on the headphones, how are you not doing like air drum air drumming? <laughs> oh yeah. Bang. Like, and then bang on this. I, I, I can't, I can't help it. There's no other drummer that makes me ever want to do that. Maybe one song here and there, but there's nothing like John Bonham that makes you want to air drum to everything. He's just, it's just incredible. And it doesn't distract from the song. It adds to it. It's never like, dude, shut that fucking drummer off. Like it is just incredible, incredible stuff. And you got him going nuts. You got Jimmy going nuts and the bass picking up. And then what a way to crash and just end. It is, you know, everybody talks about it. It's their kind of like artistic. I don't know. Um, their magnum display. opus. Yeah, They're- you could kind of say that. You know, I know Stairway gets the stuff, but for me, like Dazed and Confused is just yep. whoa. Look at this band perform. Listen to the singing. Listen to the bass, the drummer, and the guitar player. 
and tell me you can you have better artists that can perform this way. Mm-hmm. You can take out you can't take out one of them and then plug somebody in and say, oh yeah, they can do it. Huh? You can't. You need all four. So let's take the album as we did in the old days, flip it on over. Side two. time is gonna come so after the first four songs of side a side one the listener is uh introduced to the second side with this organ introduction that uh if you don't like john paul jones at after side one you are and if you're not a fan after the intro then I don't know what's wrong with you. I love this. I can't believe as someone that went to Catholic school and here in Oregon, I'm thinking about church, but this intro just immediately pulls me in. Um, kind of reminds me of a uh, deeper shade of pale, but this, this song here is uh, once again, brings me back to college, the memories of you know, early nineties, even though the, the song came out in the late seventies, 
girls that we hung out with saying, I will survive. This was our throw it back in their face. Well, your time is going to come because this song is uh, someone who has been hurt, um, has been mistreated. And as it says, your time is going to come. And once again, Mr. Gelati has done uh, Uh some songs on this over the years where he would do the lion cheating and we would all fill in from there uh you know this song here all four are contributing vocally uh i i think it is uh interesting that this is the one song where page provided the lyrics um which is kind of surprising you know it doesn't seem like after coming out of days confused and some of the songs on the on side one that page would uh put pen to paper and come up with some of these lyrics and uh just you have this just really powerful song and one of the things that i personally like about it is how they fade out at the end so you got the organ at the beginning and then it's fading out at the end and um just you know beginning to end um you know that this song is is just always meant a lot to me and it is usually the one that i will go look to play first when when pulling out this album on itunes yeah the the organ intro you you love it but my favorite part of the song is that moment when bonham just crashes right into the song i mean one of the greatest punches in the face ever because you're like oh this beautiful organ where are they going here then boom but then it pulls back because then you got jimmy page doing some amazing acoustic work and then you're like, okay, this song is so different. Again, a different song from the rest of the album. They're doing something completely different. It's 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 more it's more accessible. It's a little bit poppier. It's it's more of your verse, chorus, verse. You know, it's not the craziness of Dazed and Confused or the slowness of You Shook Me. It's 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 much more accessible, and I think that's why it's a fan favorite. And the thing I love about it too is it's got that gang vocal chorus. You know, the group of the, they're all, everybody's singing together that that chorus, you know, you're kind of chanting along. Your time is going to come. Um, it, it's just a and I love the the pace of the song. It's slow enough, you know, but it's it's not painfully slow. It's got like a nice pop vibe to it. Um, and I think that's why you, you just see a lot of a lot of diehards and even some casual Zeppelin fans always go to this particular song. Um, it's amazing. You know, and I, I just said that you hear a lot of diehards love it. A lot of casual fans go to it. The song has never been played live. They played a little bit of it in the middle of Whole Lot of Love when they performed in Tokyo in 71, but they never played it live. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And when you have a song like this, that's so iconic and so classic and so beloved uh, to just never have heard it in one of their set lists. But uh, yeah, your time is going to come. Legendary tune. This song for me is all vibe. It it is it is probably the only song on this album for me at least in my opinion that creates a vibe from the moment where it's a groove. And it it um like you said, you know with the organ, I went to Catholic school myself. You know, I always associated with, you know, the organ with church music and when I first started hearing the intro, I'm like what the hell is this? You know, like like I I I don't know if I'm going to be into the song. And as you mentioned, Tom, the, the crashing of Bonham's drums yep. sets that tone and that vibe and that groove 
for the whole song. And you really start to really appreciate, like, like you did in ba- uh, Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, Page on acoustic guitar. Say oh. what you want about him, you know, on the electric and on the, on the Gibson and whatever he plays. When he picks up an acoustic, the contrast between his playing on guitar, where people describe it as sloppy or with a lot of feel, he doesn't miss a note. He's so clean and perfect on acoustic. It's amazing how that contrast is. At least, in, you know, in my opinion, I've never played guitar, so you know, someone may disagree with me in that. But from the from my ear, you know, any song that they play, it just seems so. And like when you hear him live, it just seems so different than the feel vibe that he plays when he plays electric. But yeah, this song um, is a. It's for me is a blues song. You know, lying, cheating. Hurting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the pillars of blues right there, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, so so it's a it's a blues song that kind of doesn't really tell you it's a blues song, but if you break it down, it, it really that's where the influence of the song comes from. Your time is gonna come, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, Robert Plant. Uh, I believe we did an episode with you, Jay, on the hook rocks when we, we picked out our deep cuts. And mm-hmm. this one was on mine because it is one of my favorite deep cuts. It's one of my favorite Zeppelin song. It's nothing that anybody goes, oh, Zeppelin, oh, your time is going to come. It's always just like, yeah, I like that song. But nobody ever like sings its, you know, its praises because they have so many other great songs as well. Well, you found somebody that's going to sing its praises because I fucking love this song. Um, Jimmy's playing a 10 string steel guitar on this. He does a little slide on it a little bit too. Uh, JPJ is laying a couple two Hammond tracks on this album. That fucking organ, man. I don't know what it is, whether it's him or it's our good friend, uh, Don Airy and his rotted teeth, (laughs) like those guys and that Hammond organ. I don't know what it is. Uh, or John Lord, those guys know how to play it. None of this Bon Jovi shit. So it, this was what I would describe as a pop song. So if, if we're keeping score at home, you kind of start off with a rock song. You go into a folk song. You go into a blues song. You go into a psychedelic song. You go into a pop song. And next you'll go into an acoustic song. Yep. And then they get back into hard rock and stuff. Or you could say metal song. Yep. Right. And then back to a blues and then back to fucking the end all. Um, it's a British pop uh, song for me. Uh, there was actually a British pop singer named Sandy Shaw who covered this song in 1969. Uh, the song has a rare band chorus on it. Love and it. And if you ever think about it, like it really, ha- you if you know off the top of your head, you'd be like, yeah, how many times is Jimmy Page singing in the chorus? Yep. That is a rarity or anybody singing the chorus. There's usually not. It's usually Robert, you know, harmonizing with himself or something. Um, Tom mentioned about the lack of playing this. He played it though with the Black Crows during the 99 uh 2000 tour again. Yes, we pulled this out. Shit, I if all these songs that the Black Crows play with Jimmy Page, I wish I saw that. That album, if you get if that album live at the Greek, unbelievable performance, Jimmy Page with the Black really? Crows. Oh, my check God. it out oh, then. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, you hit it off the, the nail on the head right there with the whole bottom coming in. And then back to the acoustic guitars and the organs are going in uh, another fun, loving women verse l- lyric song. Right. <laughs> and it's, I don't know when he became uh, 
Robert moved to Boston, but it's Horton. I actually oh, yeah. it's a Rhode Island accent. Horton. Oh, I was Horton. I'm gonna call call down. I'm gonna go to uh, Rhode Island. Go grab myself a soda. It's all W's where there's no W's in words. That's a Rhode Island accent, not a Boston one. But um, love the organ. And there's a couple little things. You know, we talked about lyricists and the way a singer can just, you don't have to be like the words just got to go with the song and the way you sing it can make you a great lyricist, even though the songs don't have this profound meaning or anything like that. So the way Robert sings the line, like, this is all I got to say to you, woman, that part. And then boom, the chorus, it, you know, it's one of those things that one of you guys should have thrown in my face. Like, why do you like this song? You don't like Psycho Circus. It's the same thing. Repeating the chorus. It's just the title of the song repeated. You know why I like it? Because fucking Bonham's drum fills on every line after the chorus are insane. And so, again, you would have to tie my hands behind my back. To not eardrum to after every line of your time is not gonna come is gonna come the knock on bang it's oh I mean I'm I'm listening to music for the drummer like I, you're not supposed to be doing that at least not for me that's pretty much all I, I do I always yeah. pick out the drummer in these in but these for me I don't like get into music because I like the drums of the song yeah. this does it for me it's just incredible but the 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 greatness of him is not just the drummer you're listening to. Yeah. Listen to the bass line. You're listening to the vocalist. You're listening to the guitar guy. They're all gods in their own little way. The Again, the, there's a little my turn to cry. And then you hit that little slide. The slide. So great. Now that's why, you know, I like my country. I love that slide guitar. Um, and then my favorite part in the song is Robert's. You've been bad to me, woman, but it's coming on back to you. Then boom. Holy shit And again I dare people to listen to it And not try to air drum to it Fucking song is just incredible And it's just a deep cut In the middle of the Zeppelin one No one brings it up And it's just there for you Fucking love your time is going to come So Next Murph is going to play The next song on the acoustic guitar Let's go Murph you're up Side. So, what is unique about Zeppelin? I, I don't recall any other bands that 
you have the track list in five and six, but it doesn't stop. It just bleeds from one song into the other. And uh, you know, this is uh, just uh, based on a traditional Irish folk tune. Uh, gives you a sneak peek of what is to come, um, especially with Led Zeppelin three. I don't know how many rock bands at that time uh, would put out a song on the album with, with no lyrics. And it's just uh, a simple song with Paige and Bonham on some bongos, you know, percussion. And it's two minutes, just simple music. And because of my preference in leaning towards folk music and, you know, the, the uh, Canyon sound from, of the California sound, uh, songs from the late 60s, early 70s, I'm a big fan of this song. I mean, there's not a lot of spice to it or anything like that. It's just, it's a nice sounding song. It's soothing. It's two minutes in and out, and then you're off to the rest of the album. So that's, uh, that's my feeling on that one. Murph, you're not a big fan of deep purple or Jeff Beck. Are you, (laughs) you'll hear a lot of instrumentals on those two as well. Okay. Okay. I can appreciate that, but I'll, I'll stick to my folk music. (laughs) <laughs> yeah black mountain side like i've said on all the album review episodes anything that has an instrumental i'm a huge fan of instrumentals um you know like murph said it's only two minutes it's unique it, it kind of gives you a hint at what's to come for the future of led zeppelin um with you know their world music their folk music um experimenting with different instruments uh you know they have the a guest performance by viram jasani playing the tabla you know, you got a you got a whole bunch of kind of world instruments, all kinds of different things. Uh, Jimmy Page referred to the tuning on this as the CIA tuning, yes. Celtic, Celtic Indian Arabic, um, which I which I found was which I thought was instrument was uh, interesting. One of my favorite parts about this, and really has nothing to do with the song. This this goes to the to the production is how your time is going to come bleeds right into this. So if you're playing the CD or you you know you're streaming it like not without any break. Your time is going to come just goes right into this. And you could tell it's like not it's like almost accidental. Well, wait a minute. You guys should know what the next the best one of all time is. Come on. What Detroit Rock City going into King of the Night? Yes. World? Yes. <laughs> See, yes, Adam. exactly, exactly. Um, but yeah, Black Mountainside, I don't mind throwing it in there. You know, it's two minutes. It's uh, it, it, it's cool. It's interesting. What's really interesting about Black Mountainside and in Zeppelin bootleg fans will know this is that this was the intro to Kashmir um, mm. on the tour that that followed. Jimmy Page would break down into a guitar solo uh, prior to Kashmir, and that that riff that he would play, that main riff he plays in Black Mountainside, would kind of go boom right into Kashmir. Hmm. Um, so that's wow. why I've always kind of appreciated this acoustic um, folk instrumental that he plays because. Whenever I hear it, I hear him playing it on. I don't know if he played it on the twelve or the or the or the double neck, or if he just played it on the Gibson. But he goes right into Cashmere on the physical graffiti tour uh, that uh, you know was so so iconic. So it's credited as Jimmy Page. Here we go again, Black Mountain Side. Um, then uh, apparently the the song was inspired by traditional Irish folk song called. Down by Blackwater Side. Then a guy named Bert Janch, uh, credited in 1966, who called it traditional. 
So yep. that guy calls it traditional. So Jimmy Page is like, oh, traditional written by Jimmy Page. Uh, of course, he took it for himself afterwards. Um, live, it was always performed with White Summer. And I think yep. that's where I first learned it. Me too. That's when I first got, a, got experience. Black Mountainside with along with White Summer yep. on the box set, right? I believe so. Yeah. Cause I know I they combine the them when they play them live, has, but yeah. yeah, exactly. I think that's where I came up with it. And then I yep. got, I guess some Scottish folk guy named Al Stewart taught it to Jimmy page. And then, you know, it went from there. You guys mentioned the bleeding. I'm like, mm, okay. I'm not a big fan of instrumentalism. You know that I've, yeah. I've always said that this isn't unpleasant. It's decent. Listen, ding, 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 ding. You know, you get to listen to in the background. And then there's a part where the really goes off. So you can tell he's talented. Now, um, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if I want to chalk this up as being self-indulgent. Like, who wants to hear? But people were listening. This was what people were putting out. Little melodies, uh, little instrumentals and things like that to show people. Look at the talent of this band. So. It makes sense why it's been on there. Um, I feel, Tom, that this could have been put on the deluxe edition of the soundtrack to singles. Oh, yeah. Those other acoustic things like that. Yeah. Couldn't you picture this being on there? Yes. That's a good call. A little kind of grungy, kind of like. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff on singles that deluxe edition that has that That, kind of music. Yep. Again, you know, a, a decent song. Black Mountainside. Uh, let's go to the next track. Communication breakdown, probably uh, in consideration for kicking off the album. I'm glad they didn't. Uh, I think this song, while strong and powerful, uh, probably wouldn't have had the same impact on me as as Good Times, Bad Times, but still just an incredible two minutes, 27 seconds of power rock. Uh, I think it is probably one of the songs that got tagged to them as being uh, the roots of heavy metal. To me, when I hear this, I actually, with the opening riff, makes me think of uh, having an influence on punk rock. Just that, you know, dun, 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 dun. And as I said, two and a half minutes in and out, it is just uh, incredible songs, suggestive lyrics, and, uh, you know, it, it's, I know it's the B side to, uh, good times, bad times. There was consideration on, on having this for radio play. Um, don't know why they didn't. I think it would have certainly gotten, uh, you know, 
uh, it got the fans anyways, but I think it would have pulled in uh, you know, a lot of listeners. And it is a song that is, is, was used for a lot of their openers. I understand why. Gets the crowd up off their feet right away. And then, as I said, two and a half minutes, you're into the rest of the show. So what I like about Zeppelin, they can do a six, eight, 45-minute song, but still have the same effect on you and less than three minutes in. And I think this is always going to be viewed as a, a as a good example. And Murph, you, you, you nailed it when you said punk. I, I consider this like, like a, a proto-punk song. <clears throat> and we're not the only ones that agree with that because Johnny Ramone from the Ramones used to use this song to practice a lot of the downstrokes. Uh, Jimmy Page has said that the riff is just so hard to play because it, at that time, it's just like constant downstroking that chugging riff. Um, and Martin Popov's book, he actually calls this this is zeppelin's paranoid uh black sabbath it, it's it's just this is this is metal this is metal but that that term really didn't exist back in 68 69 that's this song is just a, a kick in the teeth by a band that is just firing on all cylinders plants vocals are just off the off the rails just insane uh, you know bonham keeping the train moving all along and, and just in pages just just shines on this song um, originally the title was going to be called too good. Um, I think communication breakdown sounds a lot better. It lends itself better to a better a chorus. Um, it, it's just, it's a classic for a reason. Um, and, and it exists as one of those songs where if, if you're a fan of Zeppelin or, you know, again, as I referenced with your time is going to come a casual fan, you, you, you know, this song, it gets radio play for a reason. Um, it's just a, a, a guitar rock killer two and a half minute tune. This is Led Zeppelin's heavy metal moment on Led Zeppelin 1. If you look at the birth of heavy metal, a lot of people want to consider Black Sabbath as the forefathers of metal. And in a lot of ways they are, but this song predates um, Sabbath. And this is really, this has all the elements of what was to come in heavy metal. And if you look at Black Sabbath, if you look at the song Paranoid, Paranoid is a response to communication breakdown. Both very similar, both very quick to the point, get the job done, three minutes and some change on the songs, but they both have similar structure and a similar song. Um, The song was also played on Paul Stanley's solo tour, not the Live to Win solo tour, but the one he did with Eric Singer on drums, Mm -hmm. I think right after the Revenge album. So he did perform, I've got a bootleg from uh, from that tour. Um, so he did communication breakdown. Paul Stanley's also always spoken of how much this song influenced him. But really, again, this this is when I talked about the bangers on this album. This is definitely, you know, if if not the definitive one, pretty close to it. Uh, it's a very well-known song for Zeppelin. It's a very, um, uh, you know, riff-oriented, very uh, very raw, as we've talked about. But it really does, uh, especially live in the first couple of years, really set the tone for them. Um, and in fact, I think they even opened up with this song on a lot of their on a lot of their shows. Mm-hmm. Communication breakdown written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bottom. I, apparently, there's a promotional video of them lip syncing to this that was out originally. Um, Black and white, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, prior to anything, John Paul Jones just says this is just Jimmy's riff. You can tell it's Jimmy Page instantly 
It was part of their live tour set list in 68, even when they were doing their Scandinavian tour as the new Yardbirds. They were playing this that early. And you're right. We talked about, you know, the invention of metal. Is this it? Well, I can tell you, you can bang your head to this. And uh, that's I, I feel like that's what is considered metal. Dun, 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 dun. Like you can put your fist in the air and pump your head to this. That's metal. Um, I'm not sure what was done before this. You know, I think there were the other one was uh, was that in the God of Vida by Iron, Iron Butterfly. Butterfly. Like that was considered maybe. Where versus Black Sabbath, you say the whole album was a metal album, and that's why Black Sabbath kind of gets it. Right. But you know, Zeppelin, you can kind of go to this and say, "Yep, this was the song." Um, again, Robert couldn't be used for the writing credit. Sorry. Uh, and this also has that rare Jimmy Page back and vocal, him and John Paul Jones, which is kind of funny. Communication breakdown. Yeah, love Communi- that. Communication breakdown. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, <laughs> there's a reason why they're like, okay, we got to scratch this Jimmy Page back and <laughs> vocals. Okay, because they're not working. I guess they performed this on June 19th, 1969 on a French show that I'm going to butcher to and skein. I don't know what the fuck that is, but they performed it live then. Between 75 and 79, it was used as an encore for all their um, concerts. I also think this has got a little grunge kind of shit to it too with yep. the, with the whole distortion and stuff and that raw guitar, guitar song on like, this. Like, so, like mud honey Nirvana type yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Early yep. shit. Yep. Like you can picture Nirvana pulling this out with that raw guitar, like, what the fuck? Tune your yep. guitar, asshole. Exactly. But, but they pull, they, you know, Zeppelin just makes this. Um, it's the metal opening. I can't picture bands or their the previous um i would i don't want to say generation but the stones the who maybe the who, the kink like really pulling this one out either i can't picture them the kinks is that's a good one though the kinks could they they could maybe pull it their off. riffs were kind of a big metal kind of rock riffs they were but they weren't played that way no they could be interpreted that way by better bands <clears throat> van halen um but they still had the, you know, the origins of those songs. Yeah. But I, I again, I, I go to the fact that you can bang your fucking head to the song. And that's yep. why I think, um, especially that opening riff. And then no, I'm not sure if anybody mentions the most famous part of the song at the 124 mark. Go ahead. Suck. Oh, yes. Come on, guys. And then boom, guitar blistering solo. Imagine That's that. Imagine, imagine it. that back in. I guarantee you, when people heard this in '69, they were like, "Oh, he didn't say that. No, nobody would say that in a song." Dwight Yoakam does that on "Fast as You," the song uh, from the from the '90s, and I remember him doing that. And people were like, "Oh, how'd you put that in there?" That some part it goes suck, and I was like, "Dude, how did he do that? He fucking is tipping his hat to Led Zeppelin." Zeppelin, yeah. Because I remember uh, he was on David Letterman, and Letterman asked him, "Hey, did I just hear you say suck?" I'm like, dude, what the fuck, you old nerd? Yeah, exactly. Nerd. Nerd. He's fucking Zeppelin, you idiot. Anyways, I love that part. And then the whole fucking Jimmy Page, fucking John Paul Jones and and Jimmy Page chorus at the background makes me laugh. Communication. But then you know what I you know what I love about that? When when they're doing the communication breakdown, plant is just going, wow. Wailing, wailing. I love it. Love it. I can totally picture now. Thank you. Love it. All right. I can't quit you, Murph. I can't. 
<laughs> Wish I knew how yeah. to quit you. <laughs> I can't quit you, baby. Another blues song, uh, another Willie Dixon song. While I appreciate the musical contributions of all the uh, members on this song, uh, when I listen to the album, I'm not going to lie. I- I've had my blues fill at this point. Uh, you know, I think Tommy mentioned earlier they they do the traditional slower tempo with this song. So looking at it, just trying to find what kind of jumped out, what I could grab on this. Uh, I know that there is uh, apparently a few mistakes by Jimmy Page that are on this, that are kept in the recording, which I I do uh, listening to this album multiple times over the last few weeks. Appreciate, you know, that this is who we are. We got it. 99.9% 99.9% of it right in the studio. We're keeping it in there. And, you know, I think allows one to appreciate more of their live performances. Um, but just where all the lyrics for their songs are suggestive, um, misogynistic, what, what have you, this particular song, the line of you messed up my happy home, mistreat my only child. What yep. the hell happened to the kid? Did he just <laughs> was he getting you know craft mac and cheese or was he you know not getting bit, getting picked up? That's when I listen to that song. I know it's based from a different time, but what happened to the kid? And did custody? Did you know, social services get involved? <laughs> That's the extent of it for me on this one. All right, I can't quit you, baby. As much as I'm not a fan of you, shook me. I'm the complete opposite. I fucking love this one. This is a, it's still slow, still bluesy, but it's not a painful slog. And one of the things I love about this, getting back to my obsession with drummers, I love the little thing that Bonham is doing with the, as he's playing, like it's so slow, you get the bass, the snare, but he's kind of riding that cymbal and it's just very, very subtle. And it's kind of keeping that tempo going. Um, Jimmy Page's guitar sounds a lot like Stevie Ray Vaughan, which is no surprise because Stevie Ray Vaughan is all blues, blues influence, loves this kind of stuff. So if you were a fan of Stevie Ray Vaughan, you hear a lot of that in this particular song. I didn't hear it so much and you shook me, but I hear it in this. Um, The solo is fantastic. And then as the song progresses, then Bonham just starts going crazy with the kick drum. 
He's he's again with his with his bass drum foot just doing all these kinds of crazy acrobatics. Um, I, this song, I think Plant is better in this one than You Shook Me. And the only reason I'm comparing the two is because they're on the same album and they're of similar style. But for me, this this is a much better job of doing the blues for me than You Shook Me. I think there's a lot of really cool things going on in this song. Growing up in Chicago, being a blues fan when I was a kid, um, Otis Rush was a huge presence in the Chicago blues scene. And this was one of his original songs written, I think, I, I don't know, it was back in the 50s at some point. But it was written by Willie Dixon, as Murph said. But um, from what I hear and what I know of the songs, this is kind of like a, a basic tribute to Otis Rush because it's pretty much exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, it's a great blues number. Um, Otis Rush, uh, one of the great Chicago blues greats, really made this song famous, again, written by Willie Dixon. Um, there, there is, I do have a handful of bootlegs where this is on. I don't know how prevalent this was live. I'd have to look at it. But um, again, this was Zeppelin showcasing their blues influence. Um, you know, another song written by Willie. And uh, of course, um, you know, the the blues influence between this and you shook me is rather undeniable. Mm. I can't quit you, babe. Written by Willie Dixon, who I think is like the Russ Ballard of uh, blues grades. Blues. Everybody else sings his <laughs> songs. Um, so, yep, you guys already mentioned Otis Rush. Uh, apparently, it's almost like a note for note copy of his 1966 version of this song. 66, uh, he said. Yeah. I thought it was the fifties. He, it song came out earlier, but he recorded it in a different style in the sixties in 1966. And that version of that track is what they copied. Um, Page is complaining constantly that there's a lot of mistakes on this album, on this specific track. Excuse me. Uh, There's an edit at the three 30 mark. I don't know what they're talking about. I can't tell Uh, the live version at Royal Albert hall ends up which was done in like january 9th 1970 ends up on coda mm-hmm. i always remember like why the fuck are they putting this song on twice on there in this stuff uh, i like how robert opens with a little acapella there's the the mistakes apparently are and i've got this written down because i saw i read it in the book uh 129 mark 317 mark 244 mark 336 mark 432 mark 437 mark Good luck. Any nerds want to fucking look that up. Um, I love the call and answer with Jimmy and, and, and Robert and the guitar, that bluesy guitar and the bottom drums and the guitar going back and forth. Um, this is another one, Tom, that I put. You could easily picture in the back scene in weird silence. Oh, yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. I was nuts over this girl. <laughs> and what really did it for me is these big, big, big titties they had. Um, <laughs> I love the bass in the background of like Jimmy's solo on this. I, you, you pick up little things. You're so right, Tom, when you're listening to this on your headphones. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. And then I love that little stop and then just guitar and then the drums again back into the solo and then the solo just goes off. Oh, that shit is so fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I mean, as far as the blues go, this is a great version of this song. I would still lean till you shook me over this one. Wow. I think it's a better version. I agree. Uh, I, agree. Uh, I, wow. I just, I, I like the song, but I, I just, uh, and it's a great blues song. 
nothing wrong with it. It's just a matter of like, you know, you got fucking the Baywatch girls. Which one do you want to have first? I don't know. They're all hot, but I'll take her first. You know, that's what it is. Yep. So let's end on the final track. many more times the longest song on the album just shy of eight minutes and 30 seconds but the sleeve originally would let you think it was only three and a half minutes because as we i think all have grown to appreciate zeppelin's going to do what they want to do and they wanted to see if this would get some radio play uh another song with elements in the blues uh Apparently, they actually were inspired by Howlin' Wolf, Wolf's How Many More Years. Uh, this throws everything at you. I, I love the beat. When I see how many more times, I immediately start hearing my head. Dun, 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 and just that, my head rocking back and forth. And you're kind of like at the beginning on the first track, Good Times, Bad Times. Everyone has an opportunity to shine. They're doing it on, you know, going out with the last song. Um, I actually hear John Paul Jones bass a lot in this song. I mean, I know it's clearly evident that Bonham uh, is Bonham. But what I've just grown to appreciate is someone that is supposed to be kind of just filling in how Jones just continues to deliver time after time, whether it's the organ, it's the bass, you know, just 
the arrangements. And this song here, I, I just find it is a great, great way to finish the album. I think Dazed and Confused while finishing out on side one is a powerful song. I just think how this song ends at the very end, you know, just the, the finish is, is the cherry on top. So my opinion, they picked the right song to finish out the album. And uh, I think if it was January, spring of 69, uh, people probably were in high anticipation of what was to come of the band. Yeah, this song to me is just Zeppelin in a in a bottle right here. You're getting everything in one song. You're getting that spectacular bass line from JPJ to open up the song. And then again, we keep saying it. Then Bonham just crashes in with him banging away and that just undeniable riff that you can't get out of your head from Page. Plant comes in. And then, of course, you got that famous breakdown with, with all kinds of stuff going on, taking stuff from Albert King and Howlin' Wolf and Booker T and the MGs, just all kinds of inspirations being built into that middle breakdown where there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, where he's telling people, I got a child on the way that makes 11. Okay, wait, like, right there, one second, one <laughs> yeah, second. Go ahead. My father-in-law is one of 11. That no household, sh- that was not heaven. <laughs> it was hell, I was told. Growing up in a house of 11 is nice. nice. What, what gets me is the line after that. He's got a little schoolgirl and she's yeah. all mine. Yeah. You got a little schoolgirl and you've pumped out 11 fucking kids. Yeah. What? The, someone's getting arrested every <laughs> damn night. <laughs> but yeah, yeah this used song, to be acceptable back then <laughs> with a schoolgirl. I don't think so. No, no. Writing about that stuff. Like Christine 16. You're not pumping out 11 kids. With a schoolgirl, she's going to be in the Maybe. in the short bus then because she's probably about thirty five in school then. But yeah, th- th- this song to me is just oh, it, it, it's it's what I want from Zeppelin. You know, sometimes when we talk about bands, whether it's Kiss or whoever, it's like this is what I want out of Zeppelin. You're giving you they're giving you a structured song, but they're throwing something really special in the middle that makes it Zeppelin. And uh, this is why how many more times to me is just an absolute standout in their entire catalog, not just on Zeppelin one. This is, this ends the album, but it really is the, the, um, in the, the, has all the elements of what makes Zeppelin so great. Yep. Uh, it does also have, you know, some some uh, a little bit of a ripoff of one of the greatest instrumentals of all time that Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones actually played on on the Truth album. It, they play on Beck's Bolero, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a lot of elements from that. And it's, it it was so similar that Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page did not talk for decades as a result of that. Um, who wrote Beck's Bolero? Jeff Beck. Did he? I thought it was Jimmy Page that wrote it. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So who's ripping off who? Is that a little bit John Fogarty ripping off himself from Credence? No. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, it is. It is, again, the lore of Page and lore of Zeppelin. Um, it's more or know. less like, hey, that's the shit we put on my album. I know you yeah. came up with that, but that's on my album. What it the also has to do doing? with Bex Bolero being one of the quintessential influences in many rock guitar yeah, players. No, agreed. You know, I mean, so so when you when you stamp that as such. And then you rip it off. Yeah, you know? but he puts it in then. It could be a, a touching nod and like, hey, I came up with this shit. 
Here's a little part isn't of it. it isn't it's it not that nut? much in there. Is it, is it a touchy knot? Because based on the whole album. I was just going to say that. Page, page has kind of yeah, laid the but ground. but it's a little section, though, compared to the blatant oh, I get it. I get it. Song. Page has laid the groundwork for people to question his motives so far. Yeah, I mean, well, we're not going to we're, 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 we're not going to litigate Led Zeppelin one. But Page has right. made it difficult for us to kind of trust him. I agree. Yeah. But listen. It's only a little section of it. Yeah, it's, I got you. In, in that break, but it's one. It's one of the most main. It's one of the most recognizable uh, riffs in Beck Spolero that he rips off. One of the most recognizable riffs. I mean, it, you know, and like Tommy said, you know, how do you give him the benefit of the doubt because he lifted, quote unquote, lifted, you know, <laughs> so much stuff on Let's Up and One. Borrowed. Up and two. I borrowed. <laughs> I borrowed. Hey, 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 Jay. Which, Jay, which means he's going to get it back. Jay, you're talking to guys that. Our favorite football team won six Super Bowls with questionable tactics. We don't care. We oh, just want the finished product. Get out of here. Get out of here. Oh, and guess, oh, who, I guess love who's it. wearing, I guess love who's wearing the Patriots? I love wearing it. a Patriots hoodie, and he just yeah, said that. I, I love it. God, oh, God. Okay. You know what? Murph can be on my podcast anytime. Uh, yeah, Good. Guess set. what? Because he's all kicked. He's kicked off the Zeppelin Chronicles. Now. <laughs> yeah. He can go on there. and He can talk to you about the BJ, the BGs, the, the BJs, BJs. <laughs> all the BJs he's given. Um, Barry Manilow. What's some other great ones, Murph, that you love? Summer. Bad English. Yeah. <laughs> Bad English. Ooh. Although Dean Castronova is awesome on those can, albums. Can, continue, Jay. But I just think that um, it does, again, have all the elements what makes Zeppelin great. It's a long song. It's got so many. It's got a, a great arrangement, that, great arrangements that merge together. Um, again, like most of the tracks on this album, it is a it is a blues song at the end of the day. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's a song they played live, a, a song they used to smoke. When they played live too, yeah. as well. They ended What's up that with a lot live of this, version that's you know. on YouTube that there was a, and I love the breakdown in the middle when Robert's introducing his bandmates. Yeah. On yeah. bass, on bass guitar, John Paul Jones. <laughs> on drums, John Bonham. Jimmy Zeus. Page. Zeus, actually, um, that's I don't know. A if BBC would... session, isn't it? A BBC yeah, I think so. Yeah. But Zeus, do you remember, uh, and Tommy, that there is classic rock station here in Boston, WZLX, and they used to have the stairway to 7, 7 yes. p.m. every night, and they would play that clip when they would start the night with yep. Plant introducing everybody. Yeah, that's cool. right. Good call. Adam Gray, Murph. Good call. Perfect. So how many more times written by Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bunham, Robert Plant? Later added, I believe, because he couldn't go on originally because uh, another part of his like contract with CBS there, eight and a half minutes. Don't want any of it cut off. No, no. not too long. It's one of the three uh, page uh, Bog uh, songs. So we had two of the three on this album, Days to Confuse and How Many More Times. Uh, I believe this was my number one on your uh, episode we did of deep cuts which uh, i don't Jay. consider it a deep cut i don't see i do i, I yeah. it's not one of those um if you name top 10 or 15 uh uh zeppelin famous tracks no one's coming up pulling how many more times true true yeah, Ze- yeah. zeppelin's a weird band to cut to, to with deep cuts because it depends on who you're talking to but you're right yeah. i, I kind of it, it's borderline deep cut i agree yeah with you. I, I hear you i hear you so the rosie and the hunter this is how good they are, and this is why they could do. And that's why they say we couldn't have anybody replace John Bonham because everything was feel and live, and they would throw shit out. 
They said that Jimmy says that they did most of this song with cues and nods in the middle of the song. I believe that the, the hunter and the rosy part were kind of spontaneous at the time when they thought about it. So the hunter was the Albert King with the Booker T, uh, not the wrestler Booker T. Tom. <laughs> so he didn't no, come out. Thank God it was sucker. Yeah, exactly, different Booker T. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, no, not that Booker T. The five time, five time, five time, five time, five time WCW <laughs> champion because he had to repeat it five times. Um, the song title and the vocals come from the How Many More Years, The Howling Wolf, which I also hear that there's another part. The bass line supposedly comes from The Howling Wolf's uh, Smokestack Lightning and No Place to Go in two different parts. I heard that it matches both of those. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I put that there's a famous nod to Beck's Bolero. Yeah, nod. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that fucking funky little bass line and those, and that swinging drum set in the beginning. Amazing. Oh my God. It's so like, it's just the band and it like element, the chemistry between everybody. I don't think many bands could have fucking pulled that shit off. No. Um, Murph already mentioned about how they try to trick radio stations with the length of the song. And by the way, little Robert Anthony is Robert Plant. Uh, in the song. Oh, and at the end, there's a little bit of a John Paul Jones Hammond organ coming in around the six minute mark, mm-hmm. and that fucking picks up. But that bass that he has, and then the Robert scream, and then the cymbals crashing, and then boom, right into that bass line that that, that goes throughout the whole song, and the the whole drums at the two point two uh, twelve mark, and then guitar solo, right down to the hunter, and then Robert screaming, and then at scream at the end. Uh... Boom, right back into that thing at the end. How, you, you can't not know this song and fucking wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Mm-hmm. It's like that Phil Collins, Aaron, the, uh, what do you call it? Tonight? You know what's coming in the yeah, internet. It, you're just like fucking waiting for it. And when it hits, it's great. But the thing that I've mentioned, why I love this song, why I love certain things, and I've mentioned this many times on our KISS podcast. We actually talk about KISS on the show, Tom. And that is this song throws in the line from... The uh, Booker T song, uh, well, the Albert King song, the lyrics that he throws out there. And then Zeppelin and Robert Plant throw this in how many more times? And a a young singer songwriter for an upcoming band called Kiss decides to call their 1977 album for this song title. And he steals this line. Ain't no need to hide. Ain't no need to run. Because I've got you in the sights of my, this is the part where Robert just says, gun, boom. But in the Albert King version, he actually says, love gun. Love gun. Yep. And that's that's how you got love gun. Yep. And that's where Paul Stanley got it. So connected folks. Oh my God. All connected. And I, I mean, I'm so fatigued of love gun. I am not fatigued of this. How dare you? Yeah. How dare you? All right, Love Gun. Oh, come on. Next uh, thing, well, I want to hear Ace Freely sing Love Gun. <laughs> All right, Love Gun. Hold on a minute. <laughs> I really love you, baby. <laughs> Somebody tune my guitar. I got to take a shit. I'll be right back. I could have played in Zeppelin. Half these guys are asleep during these balleros. What's a balero? Robert Plant if, if he doesn't want to do the reunion. Jay, you sound like drunk British Ace. Oh, there you go. 
Have you ever seen the video of Ace doing like record reviews and people are handing him records? Oh, yeah. oh, is that what he does? Yeah, is that yeah what exactly. He does? Yes. Somebody hands him. All right. It's like good times, bad times. Is that what he does? How, how can you not like Paige? <laughs> can we Paige? Is that what he does? <laughs> Ow. But anyway, yeah. Uh, God damn this song. What a way to fucking end an album. Boom. Holy Christ. But unfortunately, that is the end of the album. So before we start ranking these songs, why don't we go in order and just give us a, you know, final analysis and thoughts of the album we just heard. Murph. Yeah, as I said at the beginning, this was not the first and probably not even the second album that I, I stumbled upon. But I, I think the it's the album gives you a little bit of everything that they were going to cover in the years ahead. Uh, they obviously shifted away from the blues as their catalog expanded, but you just get the, you know, kind of the, when you're ordering takeout, you get the poo-poo platter. You're getting a little bit of the psychedelic, you're getting the heavy metal, punk, whatever you want to call it, the folk, hard rock. And uh, this is an album where right out of the gate, everyone's talents were on display the even though plant and bonham were the young ones and they had not been in the studio very often um they were by the time you know this album was done they were pretty much close to to polish they had worked out a lot and i think because it only took 30 hours to record just showed how much these four clicked right off the bat and, uh, you know, we're, just the listener and the fans were very fortunate that they all stumbled upon each other and started uh, an incredible 10 plus year run. Yeah, Led Zeppelin one for me, it, it's it's, you know, Murph said it, we've said it throughout this. It, it, it's a great display of what this band can do. Uh, every song is is unique for the most part that you, you're, you're getting all different genres, all different things are standing out, whether it's the vocals, the bass, the drums, the guitar acoustic electric uh it's got everything uh, this is a go-to album for me as a zeppelin fan uh, because of that um you know as we move on down the discography who knows where things are going to end up being ranked uh but for me zeppelin one is is classic it's legendary one of the all-time greatest debut albums in the history of music uh for many reasons mostly of which we just uh talked about so uh, fantastic debut and and uh you, you just if you're a zeppelin fan this is a go-to album this is the table setter. This is the album that tells us what's about to come. And for me, it really is, um, it shows the beginnings of a great band. I mentioned before Plant's voice. Uh, when you hear his voice on this album, it sounds different after every album that came after it. You hear the youth in his voice. And I think the touring, um, as much as they played out, uh, I think there is something to the, the element of him blowing out his voice at a very young age. Now he's the greatest vocal, one of the greatest vocalists of all time and him blowing out his voice. We would probably dream to still have the voice that he had after that. But when you compare to and all the albums that came after their, 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 that fullness that he had on this first album to me is missing. They're still great, but to me, it, it, there's an element of his, the youth in his voice that is gone after this tour, the subsequent tour Bonham, as much as we talk about Bonham's power on his drums, 
Bonham became a better drummer, if it's if if you can believe it, after this album. Bonham really developed his pocket after this album. He's mm-hmm. he's he's all power on this album, and he's great at it. And he and he you know he does a lot of great things, but he really honed his skill and honed his drumming after this album. He really learned to play in the pocket. He really learned what what the pocket meant to his playing which I think is very important to the history of, of Led Zeppelin. But again, as I've mentioned a few times, this is the table setter. This is, this is for the listener. This is for the fans of new of Led Zeppelin to, to show them what to expect on what was to come because every album after this had the blues numbers, had the power, you know, the, 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 the metal tune, the folk song, all that stuff. I mean, it just, it was the birth of Zeppelin, it was the beginning of the invasion. Jay, I mean, that's a great line, table setter. Um, a great thing about this album is, you know, when you hear time, uh, a band's discography and you listen to the first album, it's so different than anything else they they started getting used to. Uh, for them, I mean, this could have been, uh, in my opinion, this could have been in the middle of the pack. This could have been till the end. All these songs fit in their catalog. They've got a variety of different tracks. It's nothing that they couldn't have pulled off in after Houses of the Holy or anything like that. I, I And I could see somebody saying, yeah, there are eight studio albums. This is number eight for me. Or somebody saying, this is number one for me. It, it's all over. It's everyone's got a personal taste. I can't say somebody here and somebody say, this album sucks, that likes Led Zeppelin. Right. There's no way. It's just impossible. It's got so many good tracks on this. Um, for um, And again, uh, for me, the other thought I had of this, and I probably do it for each of their albums, I have uh, rankings, contributions from the members. To me, number one, it's, it's Jimmy Page. That's number one. His guitar playing, just the production, the coming out right the bat with the stuff that he was doing. He was the MVP of this album. Not far behind for me was Bonham. Yep. Not far behind from him. I would say John Paul Jones. And I love Robert Plant on this, but he was probably number four. So think of how great Robert is on this album. And he's probably four for me. Uh, I don't know what everybody else's rankings are, but that's how I would look at it on this specific album. Plant felt like he was actually uh, you know, on some type of probationary period. He yeah. wasn't sure if he was going to be in it for the long haul. So, you know, I think they're, there was a little, uh, maybe, you know, he didn't fully turn it up to 11 for the Spinal Tap reference because he was, you know, trying to make sure that he was uh, accommodating Paige's needs. And, you know, I think that if they did this album a few years later, I, I think the one thing about the blue songs on this is that Plant sounds young. You can tell it. And I, I think for me, just when you hear the blues and, you know, the traditional songs, it's older guys that have had a lot of whiskey and bourbon, smoked a lot of stogies, cigarettes, and you hear that raspiness. And that's why I think, you know, it's unfortunate that he he did the damage to his vocal cords because as soon as you get into Led Zeppelin II, he does sound rougher. Uh, you know, that you know, the the wailing and the screaming that probably was taking place on all the touring they did um you know, was was unfortunate that it damaged it. But as you said, Jay, he's such an incredible vocalist that I think the the listener, casual or diehard, really doesn't notice that, uh, you know, on the Led Zeppelin two and the preceding albums. Yeah, I, Murph, I would just add to this that uh, I think it's confidence. 
he starts going off and ad libbing shit. And now later on, he starts becoming the chief lyricist. So now he's like, fuck it. You need me. I'm doing it this way and fuck off. I'm the like, golden God. Yeah. Exactly. I think whereas in this album, it's like, I'll add, I'll, I'll sing it this way. I hope it's good. And I think Jimmy Page is like, I'm not losing that fucking drummer. Whatever happens, I don't care. I'm keeping the drummer. The singer is great, but let's see if we can pull this out. And uh, I obviously they hit it off and on the, off to the races. I've never I've never heard this confirmed, but you know I think Plant and Bonham were a package deal. Yeah, I think because of where they where they came from and who they were, um, I don't think you could have got rid of one and kept the other. I think that they were they were attached because they were friends. They were friends from the Midlands. No, and I mm-hmm. get that, but yep. I'm saying like, I'm thinking yeah. Jimmy Page is saying, well, I've, I'm not fucking losing this drummer. So even if he had probational ideas with yeah. Robert that he's like, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm keeping him because I want that drummer oh, uh, yeah. regardless. And then, you know, Robert takes over and he's MVP on a plenty of other albums coming up. Right. But uh, that's what it was for me. So what we do now is the fun part. We start ranking these songs, nine tracks. We'll go in order as we've been going throughout. And we'll start with our good buddy, Mr. Murph. Let's rank these songs. Number nine for you. Number nine. And, and every song on this album, I, it's, it goes from liking it to loving it. So there isn't a throwaway on this for me. But number nine, I can't quit you, baby. Uh, number nine for me, it's an instrumental. It's always going to be ranked last, no matter how good it is. And black, that's Black Mountainside. I'm going to go with Tom on Black Mountainside, too, as well. Number nine. Ditto. Number eight, you shook me. That's my number eight. My number eight is I Can't Quit You, Baby. Number eight for me, I'm with Jay. I Can't Quit You. Okay, baby. Numbers, baby. <laughs> yeah. Number seven for me. Black Mountainside. Uh, number seven for me is I Can't Quit You, Baby. Number seven for me is You Shook Me. Wow. This is where you guys start going, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, do this. Um. Number number seven for me. Good times, bad times. Okay. Well, number six for me, communication breakdown. Number six for me is good times, bad times. Oh. Number six for me is communication breakdown. All right. Number six for me is, babe, I'm going to leave you. Go ahead, Murph. <laughs> Number five, dazed and confused. Oh, that hurts. Oh, okay. Oh, that hurts. Okay. That hurts. Yeah. Number five for me is communication breakdown. Number five for me is good times, bad times. Oh, me and Jay are on. The, I think we might be one flip, but it's the same five through nine so far, I think. Number five for me, communication breakdown. Okay. Number four for me, how many more times? Number four, babe, I'm going to leave you. Number four, dazed and confused. Number four for me is you shook me. 
Ooh. Wow. Wow. Number three for me, good times, bad times. Three for me, your time is going to come. Three for me, babe, I'm going to leave you. Three for me, dazed and confused. Okay, top two. Number two for me, babe, I'm going to leave you. Two for me, dazed and confused. Two for me, your time is going to come. Two for me, your time is going to come. That's my number one. Your I knew time it. Is gonna I come. told you I was right, Murph. I, I, I knew you one and two way back. I knew it. All right. But, I'm impressed. Oh, Room. I knew it. I, no doubt. They were one. I just didn't know what order they would be. Uh, number one for me was without a doubt for me. How many more times? That's my number one, too, as well. Nice. That's my number one. Wow. So what we have here is number three is dazed and confused, barely beaten out, babe, I'm going to leave you. Uh, Number two, missing out by one point. Number two is your time is going to come. And number one by one point is how many more times? Nice. Those are the average rankings. Good stuff. All right. Absolutely. Now, when we get to Zeppelin 2, we'll compare... This album versus Zeppelin twos by album cover and then overall album. Right. But since we have nothing to compare it to, we're going to move on. And what we're going to move on to next is this. Thank you very much. I'd like to introduce Led Zeppelin to you. On bass guitar, John Paul Jones. John Paul Jones. On drums, John Bonham. Lead guitar, Jimmy Page. And myself, Robert Plant. Jay's bootleg spotlight. So this one was from Zeppelin one. So was there a, a bootleg album that you think that people should look into after Zeppelin one? Yeah, I'm going to go with Texas pop. The Led Zeppelin bootleg from August 31st, 1969 at the Texas international pop festival, uh, over a hundred thousand fans. And the bill included Zeppelin along with Janis Joplin and Johnny Winter and Tony Joe White for those uh, Swamp Rock fans out nice. there. Uh, but the set list was absolutely amazing. Started with a, a Yardbird song, Train Kept a Rolling, into I Can't Quit You, Baby, Dazed and Confused, You Shook Me, How Many More Times, with a medley of Susie Q, The Hunter, The Lemon Song, which wow. later appeared on Zeppelin 2. Eyesight to the Blind, and Bye Bye Baby, Baby Goodbye, and ended with Communication Breakdown. Uh, great bill, or I'm sorry, great set list, great energy from the crowd. The, the bootleg is one of my favorites from this period, so it's definitely one for you guys to check out. Texas Pop, live at the International Texas International Pop Festival. Nice. 
And, uh, and for the people that like to uh, purchase bootlegs, uh, it is available in uh, CD form online. You can Woo-hoo! find that. You can find that. So yeah. very cool, Jay. Excellent. I look forward to hearing these. Uh, I'm a big boot. I'm a, I'm a bootlegger. Uh, uh, between Kiss and Metallica, especially Kiss, there's absurd amounts of bootlegs out there, and I like them. Some of them, uh, when, when you buy them, buy them at your at risk because you never know if you're getting a soundboard recording or if you're getting uh, an, an audience. Of, an, you might be getting a broadcast recording uh, when you buy a bootleg, so that could depend. But something like this from '69, um, I'm, I'm sure it's it's going to be good enough for you. It is good. The yeah, sound quality is really good. Excellent. So, guys, so Murph. Where can we find you besides that Whole Foods Market on a Saturday afternoon with socks and sandals? <laughs> latte. Uh, as I've noted before, I am uh, not too active on uh, social media. I, I'm more, I like to watch and follow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm more on that side. But uh, CCMJTM97 on Twitter. Uh, I'm linked to a number of uh, followers from the SOSIOL podcast. Nice, uh, but I do make a point of uh, following. Shout out Loudcast, the Hook Rocks, as well as a few other Pantheon brethren. So, uh, uh, as uh, you know, all kidding aside, I, I like to listen. I like to read, follow what others' uh, recommendations are out there. So, uh, hit me up if need be. Jay, well, you can find me as your host of the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. We're on Twitter and also on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks and find us on Facebook by searching The Hook Rocks. You can find us on any podcast platform, Amazon, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Uh, We drop about three to four episodes per week. So we're a very prolific podcast. Uh, And we've had some really good episodes lately. You can check out my interview with the director of the full lineup. Thin Lizzy documentary, Songs for Wham Away. Ema Reynolds uh, chatted with her all the way from Dublin, Ireland. It was a great interview about Phil the Man and who he was uh, as, a, as an artist, as a performer. We do a lot of focus on new music, new bands. Uh, we featured a, a, a probably, we've done over 100 new music spotlights. Uh, we usually do one a week, four to six a month. And some of the recent new music spotlights are Crooked Shapes, Black Spiders, Seven Stones, The Odd Even. Uh, so check out all those interviews. We like to introduce bands to you, new bands in, in rock. So if you're interested in finding new music, please check that out. And we also have some great music commentary as well. We just dropped a great episode this past month on the streaming services proposing the lowest royalty rates in music history. We break down what that means for the artist and what that means for you, the fan. So check out all of those. And also we did a great legacy uh, interview too, as well with Phil Lewis from LA guns, great new album from them, probably their best since cocked and loaded. So check that out. Um, But yeah, uh, drop us, drop by, you know, comment on our podcast and uh, let, let me know what you think. I think we can also find Jay on OKCupid and various other dating profiles because he is a handsome bastard. Podcasters.com singles podcast singles. <laughs> That's what we create next. A yeah. podcasters dating app. Instead saying, of Christian saying, mingle, it's podcast. You are an attractive man. He is an attractive <laughs> man. Yeah. Well, it's nice to see you like after like 10 a.m. because you look like shit. <laughs> 
when we get on these morning calls, Jay. That's why. Well, it's because I basically roll out of bed, plug in my computer, and go on Zoom, and that's that's yeah. That's that eleven o'clock wake up is really tough. Uh, <laughs> Tom, where can people find us? All right. So if this is your first time hearing us or finding us, so we are shouted out loudcast. We are an all kiss podcast, dropping new kiss episodes every Saturday. Uh, we also have another sidecast called the Album Review Crew, where it's Zeus and I and Sonny Pooney, and we do that once a month. Uh, we each rotate and pick an, a non-Kiss album uh, from any genre. It's usually the rock metal genre, uh, but we're starting to expand that. Those are once a month, and then now we have the Zeppelin Chronicles, uh, which is going to be not as uh, common and not as frequent as Album Review Crew, but we are going to be doing these. And you can find us on our email Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. And we're on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can tag us, uh, check in with us. You can send us DMs. Um, and uh, we're proud to be part of the Pantheon podcast family with Jay and the Hook Rocks and a ton of other shows. And you, you can find us on all the podcast platforms out there. Um, and also, we also have a Patreon. If you're interested in that, you can check us out on patreon.com. Or you can download the Patreon app and search for Shout It Out Loudcast. Take a look around there and see what's going on. And we're grateful for any of our, uh, all of our current and active patrons. What are we doing uh, on Patreon now, Tom? Which, which I'm not sure is a great idea, but what are we doing? We are allowing our album review crew picks. Uh, we're going to be rotating to allow them to have some input on what we do. Um, ultimately we have final say. So if people are going to start submitting ridiculous picks, just let you know, you have no chance of ever getting picked. So a Celtic frost double live album will not be selected. Then that's a Celtic frost. I believe oh, I thought it was a Boston Celtic frost. No, it's good. It's going to come down. Our next pick uh, comes down to between cannibal corpse and uh, iced earth and man of war. I think that's what we're picking from. I'm kidding. Don't that. That's a joke. We're not doing that. But uh, but yeah, that those are all the things that we offer. And uh, yeah, Zeus, you have a couple things to chime in too to let our listeners know what we do. Yeah, people can always DM us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We we do respond to those. We like the feedback. You can subscribe to our YouTube <laughs> channel. Uh, that is constantly growing. So if you want to listen to us there, even if you don't listen to us on YouTube, we do put up some other stuff there. So subscribe to our channel. We really appreciate it. And you can give us one of those five star Star. child reviews on Apple, iTunes, Facebook, Podchase, wherever you like. Those also help us get out, get us bigger in front of the masses and gets our podcast out there to more and more people. We appreciate those. And as always, I always like to repeat the email because we love those emails. And emails work great for these type of sidecast episodes. So email us about the Zeppelin Chronicles, Zeppelin 1. You can email us at shoutitoutloudcast at gmail.com, shoutitoutloudcast at gmail.com. What we do uh, after these episodes, we always go to famous last words, and that is lyrics from the album we just discussed. So, Murph, you got any? Always the same. Playing your game. Drive me insane. Trouble's gonna come to you. Beautiful poetry. She swore that she would be all mine and love me till the end. But when I whispered in her ear, I lost another friend. What did you whisper, Tom? Exciter. That's the creepiest moment of the episode right there. <laughs> You're a Kiss fan. You know what I'm talking about. 
<laughs> Dazed and confused for so long, it's not true. Wanted a woman, never bargained for you. Lots of people talk, and few of them know. Soul of a woman was created below. Oh. Take that off your OKCupid okay profile. I don't think it's going to help you out, buddy. Chicks aren't going to want to. Well, maybe, they, maybe it will help me out because I know what I need to do. Any girl who likes that lyric worships the devil. You don't want that. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they might say, well, maybe he knows what he's doing. That, you might be right. What do I fucking know? Um, <laughs> That's a good point. All right. I got me a girl and I kissed her and then. Then whoops. Oh, Lord. Well, I did it again. Now I've got 10 children of my own. I've got another child in way that makes 11. But I'm in constant heaven. That's a gene line at the end. But I'm in constant heaven. Oh, yeah. Christine. <laughs> <laughs> I think Robert actually had a child on the way when he ad-libbed that song. He that did. Lyric. Correct. Yeah. That's, yes, he did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I just want to say, uh, Murph, thank you. Jay, thank you. Tom, thank you. Zep fans, Loudcasters, Kiss Army, thank you. Happy holidays, everyone. See you in 2022. Take care, everybody. Check out the Hook Rocks. Talk to you soon. Guys, thank you so much. This is awesome. Uh, It it took a while for us to get here, but I'm so glad we did it. This has been a blast. We hope you guys enjoy this uh, as much as we had putting it together. So thank you, Murph, Zeus, and Jay. Love it. Peace out, Girl Scout.